Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello and welcome to the 2023 college football season. You are listening to Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Nebraska football and craft beer fan podcast, the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild and a proud member of the Herd at Sports Network. I'm Drew and I am joined as always by my friend and co-host Ben. Thanks Drew and thank you all for joining us. For those new to the show, each episode Drew and I will sample craft beverages, mostly local, some beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker football insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Wannabe Walk-Ons for the most up-to-date show information. And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or listen to each episode on Wannabe walkons.com. On this week's episode, Ben and I will preview Nebraska's Big Ten East crossover games while sampling cider from Papa Moon's Winery in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. I'm Drew. And I'm Ben. And this is Wannabe Walk-Ons. So, Drew, it is July, it is August, it is fall season, almost. I mean, it's like the end of summer already, which kind of feels weird. Like, it's really yeah, midsummer, it's but quickly. it starts to feel yeah. like that. And so all these shows are coming out that have to do with football, kind of getting me excited. Um, are you? Do you know what Netflix is? <laughs> Might have heard of it. Okay. Yeah. They so do the DVDs in the mail, right? Yes, yeah, they okay. do. Yeah. yeah, so they've got a show called Quarterbacks. Have you been have seen anything on this? No, I no, I still get DVDs from Netflix, so no, I'm not up to date on their catalog. No, no physical media release yeah. yet for this show. It's it's uh, it's a sports documentary. Follows three quarterbacks in the NFL right now. It follows uh, Patrick Mahomes, Marcus Mariota, and uh, Kirk Cousins. Okay, I've heard of Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, he still gets DVDs okay. in the mail from Netflix. Um, it is a wonderfully fun show. It really just shows, you know, what it takes to be a quarterback in the NFL as if, like, people are going to be like, oh, there's the blueprint. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but Kirk Cousins might be the f- most uh, unintentional funny person I've I've seen in a sports documentary in a long time. Um, he, he does a lot of very funny things, but one of my favorite things that this documentary does is keep him mic'd up when he's injured. And it's it's maybe not fair to him. As he was the most hit quarterback uh, in the 2022 season, yeah, and he took a couple of shots to the ribs early on in this in this season and in this documentary, they kind of highlight it. 
and he's playing in that game against the Bills where uh, Jefferson had the the great catch and they they re- recovered the fumble in the end zone for the touchdown and then Buffalo tied the game they went to overtime and what have you but every time Kirk Cousins would get hit and then going off the field he would just go as he's running and people are like are you okay and he goes I'm hurt <laughs> and it happens more than once like he will be done with a series and you just hear him like as he's just jogging off to the sideline so I highly encourage you watch this incredible this. it's it's very I don't have to I just got an experience I it's think even better kind of, okay uh, you know it's even better to see it it also made me re- realize that zero percent of me could be uh, a, a water boy in the NFL, let alone a, a player. Yeah, because they he's, are a, just, he's not a small quarterback, right? No. Isn't he like six fours? So I don't know. He's, he's a big dude. He's a big guy. He takes so many hits. I mean, it's so many hits, and they play it at full speed at their level, right? It's not uh-huh. like the, the wide shots that we normally get. It's this like NFL films, high definition. The players are in focus. The crowd is blurred out, and they're just being murdered on the field, and it is just so... <laughs> funny to what i mean i just <laughs> so i highly encourage um when they put it out on on the dvds for you in 2030 yeah, yeah. You, you check that one out when uh, when patrick mahomes has seven super bowls and is retired oh god he'll probably still be playing in 2030 that's, and beyond yeah that's not that's, that far i guess that's not that far off but yeah yeah it's really not jesus man that's kind of scary to think about yeah, we don't have to dive off the deep end there. No. Time. We have, no. We've talked too much about time already. This. <laughs> yeah, first this episode, we, we know we it's, really, it's, it's an illusion. It's a flat circle. Yeah, it doesn't you, exist. You know it's weighing on our minds. You know what? You're right. Let's, let's pivot away from talking about time. Um, and uh, let's, talk about, uh, let's talk about some alcoholic beverages yeah. that are local to Nebraska. How's that sound? I can't. My favorite way to pass the time. There you go. So yeah. in front of us, we have a couple of cans of hard cider from the Papa Moon Winery in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. These are a hopped cider, and we'll talk about them in just a minute. But uh, if you will allow me to indulge in a introduction, we'll learn a little bit about Papa Moon and what they do for the state of Nebraska. Awesome. Cool. So in 2007, the Massey family began planting grapevines with the hope of starting a new hobby and furthering an already established joy for all things that grow. Instead of a hobby, they got much more. What began as a side project became an absolute passion for grape cultivation and craft wine production. From the molecules in the soil to the bouquet of the finished product, the Masseys have not stopped pursuing their goal of making craft beverages of outstanding quality. In 2012, their passion bloomed into a serious business proposition. While trimming dormant vines on a brutally cold January morning, they had a revelation that their love for growing grapes and making wine could be shared with others through the establishment of a winery. The immediate task at hand was to establish a name for the business. They searched briefly for a name, but Papa Moon became the obvious choice as it had already been well established as the moniker for owner Jim Massey by his, and this is so adorable, by his grandson, Liam. On moonlit nights uh, at the countryside vineyard, Jim began a tradition of taking Liam outside to gaze at the moon. Before long, Liam began affectionately referring to his grandfather as Papa Moon, and the name stuck. That is super cute. Isn't that so yeah. cute? Oh, like, man. Makes, makes the drink another level better, where you're like, oh, Papa Moon made this yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah. We've got, you know, Rip Van Winkle whiskey, and you got <laughs> Papa Moon cider. They, they go like hand in hand. 
So since 2013, Papa Moon has been producing high-quality wines from grapes harvested with the help of family and friends at their on-site vineyards. They aim to continually produce excellent quality wines in the artisanal tradition and to innovate their product with new ideas and methods. With small streams running through the property, ponds, small forest grapes, and an abundance of wildlife, the vineyards are a true getaway. Everything in their vineyards and winery is done with their environment and their customers in mind. Recently, their portfolio uh, greatly expanded into hard ciders and mead. Papa Moon Ciders continue to take top honors and medals from all across the country. Craft Cider melds the worlds of craft beer and wine together in one. Its versatility and immense flavor combinations are a great, great way to introduce craft beer lovers and wine lovers to a completely different drink that is both enjoyable and fun, all while being gluten-free for those of you who have a gluten allergy oh, or gluten sensitivity. Nice. So the team at Papa Moon always enjoys pioneering different flavor profiles and offering unique experiences, crafting ciders, wines, and mead. They take pride in cultivating on-site ingredients and sourcing from local growers. That's a little introduction on Papa Moon. Uh, I, like I said, absolutely loved where the name came from. Yeah, that's awesome. But their focus on local and not just, um, you know, doing it themselves there, but also getting the community involved, having friends and family be part of the process, you know, it just endears me yeah. more to them. I like that a lot. And in the, in the idea behind like nurturing the land that's that's providing you with, you know, what you're growing and um, and just being connected to that. Um, the, the thing that struck me aside from the name, um, is the fact that they decided to really like take this hobby to the next level in January of, in, in the dead of winter while they're out there trimming vines and like, you know what, this is a really great time. Like, let's go. Um, that just, I think that really though, it speaks to like the passion that they, that they must have for, for what they're doing here. And, um, and that shines through in this, this drink that we have here, this hopped hard cider, yeah. um, I, you know, I'm, I'm really impressed the, the citra hops, it's citra and galaxy that, that they use in this. Um, but the citrus really comes through. It almost makes it, um, closer to like a lemonade. Yeah. Um, for yeah. me, yeah, I get, a, I get a lot of the, the lemon and the orange sort of citrus flavors coming through. And so it, it complements the tartness of the, of the apple cider. What I really like about their ciders in particular, and we'll find this in the next cider we we sample as well, which goes, I think, even deeper into a flavor profile that might reminisce closer to beer or in, in more of just that kind of uh, earthy, exploratory flavors. But they don't add sugar uh, to these. And so you're, you're getting, you're not getting that kind of syrupy cider bite that you might get from maybe an angry orchard that feels almost overly sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, so you are getting a lot of that tartness that's not being overbalanced or muted. But then also as that tartness first hits your palate and you get used to the tartness, then it starts to make waves for what tastes like real apple skin and real fruit. And it, it, it tastes kind of like a little bit of, of grass and it has some of those earthy tones that start to sneak through. It's kind of like when you try a whiskey for the first time, you got to get past the ethanol. With a cider, I find you've got to kind of get past some of the tartness and some of those upfront flavors and then they really start to open up. Yeah. Um, and I, the hop is nice on the nose. I think it hits right away. But yeah, like you mentioned, the lemonade side of it, there really is that nice citrus burst that comes through on this. I'm very excited for the next one to try. I'm not going to tell you what it is because okay. I think it's it, it, it might take things to the next level. So I'm, I'm very excited awesome. for that. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So check out Papa Moon uh, if you have. God, it sounds so cool to say. It does, yeah. <laughs> check uh, out Papa, Papa Moon, Moon on Mother Earth in 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 beautiful Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. Have you been to Scotts Bluff before? Um, I've been, uh, yeah, I have actually. I think I have a cousin actually that lives out in Scotts Bluff. 
And okay. so I've been there one time in my life. Okay, very yeah. cool. It's beautiful. I mean, when yeah. you get out and like towards the monument uh, and then you start to get out into the landscape in Scott's Bluff, I mean, it is, yeah. it's a completely different, it's it's so alien. Like if you grew up in Scott's Bluff and you saw this side of Nebraska, you'd be like, what happened? What did, why'd you guys do that? <laughs> you know, because the landscape yeah. is just so rolling hills and just magnificent. So it's a very cool place. Awesome. All right. Well, that's our introduction for our, our alcoholic beverage that we're going to enjoy on this episode. Drew, it's finally time on this uh, to talk about some football, specifically some Big Ten football. Yes, still oh, the Big Ten wild East to talk about. Yeah, but it's, it's it, I think that the Big Ten East qualifies as Big Ten football. I think they count for something. You know, the, they've been okay. They've been all right. The Big Ten East has some would say dominated. <laughs> uh, others would say they lose in the college football playoff. You know, yeah. You know, right. they, they still don't end the season with a national championship. <laughs> so really, we're in the same place. Exactly. Yeah. We're all losers here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have a confession to make, um, which uh, anytime I say that makes me think I'm Dave Grohl. But <laughs> I, I normally write up some witty introductions about these teams and and we share those witty introductions and we'll do that on all the other episodes. But on this one. Uh, this dipshit over here, and I'm pointing to myself, forgot to print them off, and then I thought, I don't need my fucking computer, so I left it at work. So uh, we're not going to do witty introductions. We're going to do very specific introductions, okay. and as this was my fault, probably I will take the burden. Say they're probably going to be brief. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they will. So uh, we're going to start just, you know, right here. We're going to start the way we always do, which we talk about the teams, mm-hmm. and then we're going to do our true or false. Yes. And then we're going to talk about, you know, a little preseason conversation. Okay. Neither of us know anything except one of us did predict who was going to be in the Big Ten Championship and who's going to win it last year. I don't know who that was. <laughs> Same dipshit that wow. forgot these papers. <laughs> okay, so Michigan. Nebraska is going to take on Michigan at home on September 30th. Uh, the last time that Nebraska took on Michigan, that was at the Big House last year. Did not go well. Oh, it didn't? No. Uh, oh. 34-3 to was the last time. Uh, that these two teams squared off, Michigan taking the advantage on that one significantly and then some. Uh, Michigan is led by coach Jim Harbaugh, uh, who is in, I believe, his ninth season as the coach. And his ninth pair of khakis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He gets one a year. Yep, that's it. Yep. Yeah. They get pressed right at the top of the season, starched, and then that's it. And then he rides them out. Lucky pair. Yep. Uh, Michigan only lost one game last year to TCU in the college football playoff. Um, and it was one of those games where it could have gone either way right at the end. Um, I believe there was a controversial was he in, was he not in touchdown that was taken off the board, I think, for Michigan's sake. And TCU wound up going up against Georgia. Uh, and <laughs> Going up against is even pretty a generous way. They to got to watch Georgia that. practice <laughs> yeah. uh, with a front row seat is the way that worked out. So that is uh, my beautifully brief introduction to Nebraska and Michigan. It'll be fun to see them come to Lincoln, Nebraska. As always, anytime yeah. Michigan comes, it's like, Remember 97? Yeah. <laughs> you little punks. <laughs> you didn't play us. So uh, before we dive into football, we dive into true or false. Yes. And uh, I've done so much talking already in these first 15 minutes. Okay. I'll do a lot. I have a page long true or false Perfect. on Michigan. So Okay. Um, which I'm going to regret as soon as I start reading it, but we're going to do it anyway. Okay. So Michigan true false. Here we go. Everyone knows that former Michigan coach Fritz Chrysler had a tremendous impact on the program during his coaching and administrative career. Notable accomplishments include a national title in 1947, coaching the school's first Heisman Trophy winner, and introducing the famous winged helmet design. But did you know 
Chrysler's impact on football extends well beyond just Michigan, thanks to his invention of the two-platoon system, which incorporates separate offensive and defensive squads, an idea he received from an open letter addressed to him and written by the great American author and football enthusiast F. Scott Fitzgerald. Okay. That's a lot. That is a lot. (laughs) Essentially, true or false, F. Scott Fitzgerald invented modern football as we know it with offensive and defensive sides. I really hope that it's false and that it was his wife, Zelda. Okay. And uh, behind every great man is a yeah. great woman. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say true, because I feel like if you wrote a page on this, <laughs> there has to be a backstory. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just going to start reading about East and West Egg and we're just going to go from there. We're going to. Yeah, we're going to dissect the great Gatsby here. Yeah. Um, no, it's false. But oh, I know. But the truth or the evident truth is a lot better, actually. So some would say some stranger would, than fiction. Ah, nice. There yeah. you go. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I was waiting. I was holding for applause. Oh, the, okay. Yeah, the, all right. Prior to Michigan, Chrysler was the head coach at Princeton, which was a football powerhouse at the time, um, and it was the alma mater of F. Scott Fitzgerald. During a 1957 interview, Chrysler said that Fitzgerald called him the night before every single game, between midnight and 6 a.m., and he could hear the sounds of parties going on in the background. Everyone shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm trying to talk to Chrysler. <laughs> um, so during these likely drunken phone calls, Fitzgerald would pitch Chrysler his winning football strategies. It's called the triple option. <laughs> Chrysler called some of Fitzgerald's ideas reasonable and fantastic, including his idea for a two-platoon system that would use one big offense and one little offense. And so his idea was to do two platoons, but it's only on one side of the ball. So he said that you put all your 200 plus pound guys, you know, to, to pound the ball. Yeah, the pound. small then, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. And then you have your pony offense, your little guys, and those are the ones that are going to score your touchdown. So, um, so the, the supposed truth is that Fitzgerald did come up with potentially the idea for the two platoon system, but he also might've been riffing on one of Chrysler's own ideas. Um, another idea that Fitzgerald pitched that did not make it, um, just downright crazy. Uh, Chrysler said, quote, another time he got me out of the bed in the middle of the night to unravel an elaborate fantasy he had imagined about a Harvard Princeton football game that was to be fought by two teams of ants. (laughs) (laughs) The red ants and the black ants. (laughs) This guy wrote one of the greatest American novels. (laughs) Yes. He'd gone into the characteristics of the two types of ants and had it arranged so that Princeton, represented by the black ants, was predetermined to win. Scott sounded at the time as if he were halfway convinced of its practicability. Okay. So he was, in fact, um, a a genius in terms of uh, storytelling and authorship. Mm -hmm. He was a football enthusiast and he did have some really great ideas, but he was also batshit crazy at other times. (laughs) Okay. So there's going to be, there's there's going to be ants, man. And then, and then they're going to be red and then they're going to be black and they're going to predetermine the game. Right. Okay. So we're going to get ants. Okay. Okay. I know where we can get, I got an ant guy. I got a guy who can get ants. F, are you okay? I'm great, I'm great man. <laughs> better. I'm, I'm so alive. That's great. I watched. I would watch that movie. I would watch the F. Scott Fitzgerald 
thinking he's a football coach. Pitching the ideas. And his, his like editor's like, you need to finish this book. And he's like, what, what, have, you, have you heard about the ants? <laughs> have you heard the ant idea? Oh, man. I love it. There's so much there. I, I dove into that. He, he, was, he was truly like an enthusiast about football. And he would, he would, write, he would write open letters to coaches at Princeton and, and obviously call them Why um, did we in not the middle get of the night. A, a book from him about college football. You would think, like, with his obsession with America and America's obsession with football. You'd I mean, think so. Especially I don't at the collegiate level in mm-hmm. that time, like, the professional game was nothing, right? Yeah. Like, you didn't, you didn't make money being a professional football player. You were a collegiate athlete who then became, you know, nationally famous, and that was where you kind of made your bread and butter. And, God, I want... I don't want to go back in time and be like... That would, yeah, if, you're, if you had a time machine, you would, yeah. That'd be my one thing I would do. <laughs> then again, based on his uh, idea about the ants, might not have been a great book. Could have been a book about ants. Uh, could have been <laughs> a prequel to Bugs Life and or the movie Ants. Oh, man. Would, yeah. Would they have played on a smaller field? Because that game would have been like tedious if it was on a full-size on field. A, yeah, yeah yeah you have to watch with a magnifying glass and you just end up burning like well, you couldn't have 11 happen. on 11 because like 11 ants can't pick up a football we had like well no yeah they're strong though right they're they like, are strong you might need more than 11 you need way more than 11 ants like a tiny football oh i'm gonna figure out a science <laughs> experiment how many ants would it take to lift a football to play a football game okay in the name of, of science and literature. And yeah, in the memory of F. Scott. They Cheryl. always they always said in college that you would combine science somehow with the arts. And F. F. Scott Fitzgerald did it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great true or false. That was my favorite. I've been sitting on that. Yeah. I oh, love that man. one. Yeah. We should wrap up. That's it. We should just call it a, a day. Yeah. You've heard everything you need to hear, folks. <laughs> and with that, I think Nebraska's <laughs> got a shot. <laughs> If we were ants. If the ghost of F. Scott Fitzgerald can call Jim Harbaugh the night before and just keep him awake. Yeah. Tire him out. Yeah. Jim Harbaugh is probably awake drinking milk or something like that. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway. Lord. So I, I guess okay. uh, my, my true or false actually does have to do with Jim Harbaugh. Okay. Nice. So, All right. Uh, so here we go. Jim Harbaugh, true or false, was asleep when he was drafted in the first round by the Chicago Bears. I hope so. Yes. You're going, you're going true? Yeah. Was he drafted by the Bears? I should know this. <laughs> yeah, as a Bears fan? Um, that's true. Jim Harbaugh was, in fact, asleep. So, leading up to the draft, Jim Harbaugh was actually battling a case of the chicken pox. And he had driven to his parents' home from Ann Arbor was for the draft. seven? <laughs> so, he was living in, in Kalamazoo at the time. Okay. Or his parents were, and he drove home from Ann Arbor for the draft, and he was on the couch in his pajamas when he dozed off during the first round. So not only was he asleep, but he was in his pajamas. Uh, But he was uh, woken up to a phone call from Bears president Michael McCaskey with the news that he was going to be drafted. The Bears requested Harbaugh get on a plane uh, and fly to Chicago to celebrate, but Harbaugh, coming off chicken pox, only had the pajamas that he drove home in. Uh, and a beard that he grew out due to the irritation shaving would have caused. So Harbaugh initially resisted the invitation on the grounds that he, quote, looked like shit. <laughs> uh, those were my words. Sorry, not his. Uh, but the Bears insisted they took him not because of his looks, but because of his ability as a quarterback. So, yeah. Nice. Could you, if that had happened, like, modern day, like, all the all the cameras that they put inside draft pick homes these yeah. days, like, oh, man. Just a shot of Harbaugh snoozing. (laughs) Just bearded and 
poxed up. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. That's so, funny. There you go. It's a good Jim Harbaugh story. It is. Every yeah. Jim Harbaugh story is a good Jim Harbaugh story. This is true. Jim Harbaugh is 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 good for college football. Yes. Yeah. Right? Like he he is if nothing else one he's turned into a great coach at Michigan. Mm-hmm. I think people doubted him early on. I doubted him early on thinking he was going to be in the hot seat a few years ago. Because yeah. he was still trying to build the program he wanted to build. The stories you hear, though, are very much legendary in the same vein that, like, these same coaches that got phone calls from F. Scott Fitzgerald were legendary. Yes. The khakis, the glasses, the the wearing gloves while he's practicing with his guys, refusing to take shoes off while you're meeting, falling asleep on an offensive lineman's couch and staying the night or something like that. You know, like, yeah. all that weird stuff. Refusing to take his cleats off. That's what it was. He was wearing cleats to a recruit's house and they're like, you take your cleats off. He's like, I don't take my cleats off for anybody. (laughs) They're like, also, why are you wearing cleats? Right. You adult man. He is quirky. He's so offbeat, but it's, it's when he's, and now that he's winning, it's become, I think it's become a little more accepted and wholesome and fun. Back when he was losing, it was easy to like kind of pick on him a little bit. Both of our game day signs for Nebraska, Ohio State had nothing to do with Nebraska and Ohio State. (laughs) It had everything to do with Michigan. We were making fun of Harbaugh because we were like, (laughs) we want these Ohio State guys to like us before they kill us. Yeah. Yeah. So they liked us. Yeah. They also killed us. They did. On the field. You know, you know who everyone hated though? The Texas fans. And I think that's important. Mm -hmm. And Iowa. Yeah. Nothing has changed. That was the loudest Iowa sucks chant I've ever heard. (laughs) And people were texting us like, hey, are they chanting Iowa sucks? Because we can hear it through uh, Kirk Herbstreet's microphone. Like, no, that's just Lee Corso. He's just he's just underneath the table screaming Iowa sucks. (laughs) All right. So, Drew, why don't you get us started? Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the offense of Michigan and what you're thinking coming into the 2023 season uh, for for these Michigan Wolverines? The Wolverines? Uh, I'm not feeling confident in uh, Nebraska's chances. To, you're in Michigan? <laughs> in Michigan, yes. Um, they they are looking for their first back-to-back undefeated seasons, um, regular seasons since 1947, 1948. Um, and they have a real shot to do that because um, they're returning the fifth most production in all of college football. And so you're basically going to get the same same version of Michigan that you had last year, um, but one year improved, one year more gelled. When you say that, is that production on both sides of the ball? Yes, totally, just as a team, yes. Oh, shh. Which they were Shoot. good on both sides. Yeah, they of were. The ball. Um, they're yeah. They they return most of their defense, most of their offense. The only like one of their biggest hits is actually on special teams, as far as what they lose, yeah. which we can get into. Um, but yeah, they're looking to really cement um, themselves as the, as the team, the premier team, in, in not just the Big Ten East, but the Big Ten as a whole, and then also to to stay on the the main stage of the national uh, in the in the spotlight nationally. So. Um, Looking for their third straight college football uh, appearance, playoff appearance. Um, looking to beat Ohio State for the third time in a row uh, for the first time since 1997 when they famously didn't win the national title. Right. Um, when they came in second. second yeah. To, they were to one bitches. of the, yeah. <laughs> Get my shots in now. So, um, yeah. So, I, I, you, were, you were on them last year as you have reminded us. What? On multiple At podcasts every chance, too. Yes. What, yeah, it wasn't every just our own. Can, Put yeah. my neck out there, man. You really did, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, so yeah, so I'm 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 with you this year. I think that um, that they'll they'll return 
full strength. I also think, though, that like Ohio State could and Penn State this year could really uh, give them a run for their money on the the east side. Yeah, so. I, I agree with you there. I think the Big Ten East is um, wide open, but I do think Michigan is going to be the favorite just yeah. because they have the momentum, they have the production coming back, um, and they have a Heisman most likely favorite at running back in Blake Corum, uh, who if he can stay healthy, he got banged up real late in the season, which was real unfortunate for their playoff run. Yeah. Um, didn't affect them, obviously, in the Big Ten Championship, but but it did affect them in TCU and just not having that uh, that power behind them. But they do have Donovan Edwards in the support, who was also a great running back for them. And when you're in the Big Ten, I mean, that's, that's you know, secret sauce ingredient number one is is a running back room that can sustain and can be powerful and can control the clock. And that's really what scares me the most about this Michigan offense. If we're just talking about offense out of the gate is they just – they can get you in a lot of different ways. They can be the team that goes on the ground and can get dirty yards and can move the ball that way. But they also have a great arm and a great quarterback and a great man behind the lead of JJ McCarthy, who, um, you know, came up as the young buck and, and won out and forced a transfer quarterback to, to go ahead and leave for Iowa, uh, which that's got to be a real <laughs> where, dick punch. Where, yeah, where do you have to be in life that? Quarterback you know, of Iowa is the yeah, better situation. I really think that this will better represent my talents <laughs> to go play under Brian Ferentz. Um, I I, I kind of just I like everything that Michigan's bringing to the table on both sides of the ball. They're going to be my favorite again to win the Big Ten. But when you come back and you look at as well the experience they're going to have on the offensive line and the production they had, not just last year, but if you look at their progression um, for uh, rushing yards per game over the past three years. They went from 130 yards to 214 to 200, almost 240 per game over the past three years. And you're bringing back the core people that achieved that and you're giving them another year to develop. Yeah. Right. And like that is how you win in the big 10. Um, but we're also seeing that that's how you win on the larger stage is you have the established run game that is violent and that gets those yards. And then you can just carve people up when the passing game opens up and, and they've been getting better there. Two going from 250 yards um, per game and staying around that 220, 230, 240. So they're not really losing productivity on the passing. They're just gaining more on the ground. Yeah. It's, it's, they play, play complementary football and it's hard. It's a chicken and egg situation, I think, when trying to pick out like, like what's, why are they so great here? Because they do um, excel along the offensive line. They're, they've, their offensive line has won the Joe Moore Award the past two years as the best offensive line in college football. Um, they returned both of their guards this year. They just put a uh, center into the NFL who transferred in for one year. Um, they've got another uh, center transferring in from Stanford who's going to play for a year who's probably going to get put into the NFL. Like, yep. um, So, yes, yeah, so that offensive line uh, has really gelled and it's allowed them to to be great, I think, at running back and to be great at quarterback. But then at the same time, like their running backs are just stupid talented and I don't, I don't think it would matter who they're running behind um, Blake Corm and, and Edwards are, are both going to, I think, be great. And Edwards could start at any school in the country. Oh yeah. Um, and he's, and he's stuck it out, you know, you know, running as the number two guy. Um, and then, yeah. And then McCarthy has, has come on. Um, that was at the one, one thing that, uh, Jim Harbaugh was always lacking, I think was the quarterback play. Yeah. Um, and he finally found his guy. They've, they've had not just Cade McNamara transfer out, but Alan Bowman, Joe Milton. And those are guys that are, starting or potentially starting at other power five programs um, this year. And so like that just speaks to how great McCarthy has been for them. Um, and so, yeah, so for me, it's, it's hard to pick out 
um, you know, what really makes them so great on offense other than it's just so complimentary across the board. One of the other key things that I like to look at on an offense is, is how productive or how active does a quarterback have to be for a team to be successful? And that's not to say to take away from the, the mental capabilities of a quarterback and the decision-making and those types of things. But what I like about Michigan's offense being so complimentary is McCarthy doesn't have to overextend himself. He doesn't have to be someone who's picking up yards with his feet. He can be someone who can you know, be a pocket passer, be a little bit mobile and, and move out of the pocket if he has to. But he also has running backs and wide receivers and talent around himself to make plays. And he has a line that's going to give him time as opposed to trying to make magic happen. And I think that's when you start to get the secret to success, right, is when you have a quarterback who doesn't have to overextend himself, who can stay healthy, who you can have behind center all 12, 13, 14 games a season into that 15th game uh, where you hope to take home the national championship that's really where teams excel is when those guys can stay clean and they don't have to do too much uh, and Michigan has built towards that yes yeah. that's it's something that uh, like we mentioned kind of at the top of this you know for a while Harbaugh was a laughing stock because he wasn't really gelling with what he wanted to be he was still winning nine ten games but it, he wasn't getting over that hump right and you could just see that he was trying to just develop into this and and he's gotten there yeah. You know, um, you don't get back to the college football playoff twice, two years in a row on accident. You don't win the Big Ten two years in a row on accident. You don't beat Ohio State two years in a row uh, or ever for you know, <laughs> maybe once, <laughs> depending on who you are. Um, so I, I just I really like what he's built. And, and if we look at Michigan as a whole, um, I think they're the blueprint. I think Nebraska can can look at Michigan and go, this is something where, yeah, we want to get to a team that's a consistent nine, 10 win team and then continue to build on top of that, doing things the hard way, getting good players who we can develop, which if you look at the star ratings for Michigan, they're not wildly different than what Nebraska brings in. The difference is they land the occasional five star, but they're not getting a crazy amount of five stars and four stars. They're getting three star, four star guys. They're developing them into NFL caliber talent. Um, and Nebraska can, can pull those same kind of numbers and so as much as it pains me to say like Harbaugh has has kind of been the program that I want to become uh it is and I was thinking about that today before we were recording I was like man like it, it really is the blueprint like bring in guys develop guys but don't ever rest on what you've accomplished yeah you and you you sent me a message a while back about that about Michigan recruiting and and how they could be the blueprint um and we've I, I feel like when when Frost came in um, if you were going to try to compare like what he wanted to do, it felt more like an Ohio state type situation, which is not, I don't think that's feasible from a recruiting standpoint. Right. Um, but so I was looking at Michigan's recruiting numbers, um, over the, just from, from 2017 up until uh, the 23 class on average, they rank 12th in the nation. So they're not like, a, I, they're not even top 10 on average, um, but in the last five years, they've put 37 players into the NFL draft, which ranks fifth wow. uh, in the nation. And that's behind Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and LSU. I've only heard of one of those schools. Yeah. 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 And yeah, they're overachievers. These, Georgia, these schools. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so and then I looked at those top four schools. Okay, if they're yeah. putting all this NFL talent, like where are they ranking um, in these same years? Alabama ranks 1.9. They're, they've, they've been either one or two every single year, except for one where they're fifth. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. What a garbage. Terrible fucking year. Saban slept walked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Georgia, 
has never been outside the top four in those years, and they were they two point three on average is their class rating. Uh, Ohio State four point nine. They've only had one year outside the top ten. They were fourteenth, um, and then LSU is seven point four on average. So they average a top ten uh, rating as well. And so these are these are like the the schools that just are shooting fish in a barrel when it comes to recruiting. And yeah, Michigan does have to do a little bit more work. They've got some in-state talent mm-hmm. and they do a good job, I think, of keeping uh, players at home. Um, they generally out-recruit Michigan State for those guys. Um, and so, but they do, they, they have to focus on developing. They're, they're, they're an academic-focused school, right? They're tough to get into, so they think they do have some higher standards than a lot of these schools have. Um they're a little bit out of the country or outside out of the country. They're a little bit north, so they're a little bit outside of um, some of those recruiting hotbeds. And so, um, yeah, so I just wanted to, I just, you, you brought that up and I was like, well, I, I, I like to see the numbers behind yeah. that. And I think you can confirm that, that they do. Um, and they're, they're rating, their overall rating, because um, you might say, like, well, sometimes with rankings, you know, you get like a big class and that's going to inflate things. But their overall rating is about a 90 you know, composite, mm-hmm. which is, a, which is a four star, but it's not outrageous where it's not like right. 94, 95, like the Alabama's Georgia's of the world. I remember I, it was the, I think it was 2021 looking at those numbers when it was, you know, Nebraska lost on that, that late fumble um, from Adrian and, and looking at the numbers there when you compared all of the starters for Nebraska and all the starters for Michigan and what their stars looked like and what their composites. And I think that I averaged it out to where it was like within Point two five, you know, on, on their ratings between the two when you averaged everything out. So, like, you had guys that were Michigan's average star rating was like a 3.77 and Nebraska was like a 3.6 or something like that. I mean, it was really close to what they were bringing in. It was just the level of development that Michigan has done and stuck to and not been afraid to walk away from. Uh, I mean, it's easy when you're, again, when you're winning nine games, when you're winning big games, when you're staying close and you're staying relevant. Um, but I think that there was a point where Harbaugh's feet probably were to the fire, whether we knew it or not, or we felt it or not. Um, and, and I think him sticking to his guns and continuing to bring in not only talent, uh, on the field, but also his coaching staff, he continued to evolve. He never got complacent with his coaching staff. I think the, uh, his defensive coordinator, uh, now that he stole from his brother, you know, not a, not a bad get for that program. And that was their first year under him. So it's only going to get mm-hmm. worse for everyone else <laughs> when it comes to Michigan. And I think, I think that might be a good time to actually like talk about um, Michigan's defense. Yeah, yeah, we can dive into that for sure. Um, no notable linebacker transfers for Michigan that I know of. Uh, I don't think anyone of note transferred in to Michigan who played linebacker at another Big Ten school. Uh, that broke my heart. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, good for him. Yeah. I, you know. To be to be you know for for Houseman to be probably featured in this linebacker core amongst some really great names with like Junior Colson, Michael Barrett, Jalen Harrell, these are some guys, right? These are some studs, mm-hmm. and then they've got Chris Jenkins at defensive tackle. Like this this front seven is is terrifying. It's scary good. Um, to to Ernest Houseman's credit, the fact that they I'm assuming Michigan tabbed him as the guy like to bring in. I don't think he was necessarily maybe looking elsewhere, but. For them to wait, 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 wait. for for what them you, to bring him, I'm not, I'm not insinuating anything. I'll backtrack. I will say that for him to to come into this defense with the talent they have at yes. linebacker, um, 
I think he'll I think he'll grow up. I think he'll see some some good playing time um this year. Um some serious uh, meaningful snaps, but I think he's going to grow in this in this defense and I think he will step into that role in the future where he's he's you're mentioning him the way you mentioned Colson and Barrett. Yeah. Um so I'm excited to for him to see where his career goes. Um and like you said, yeah, they do. They are stacked up front. Um and that's despite losing Maisie Smith. Yeah. Um, in the middle of that defensive line, um, losing Mike Morris, who's the Big Ten Defender of the Year on the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, they still, I think, bring back some serious talent up front. They've got Chris Jenkins at the at the defensive tackle spot, who um, Jim Harbaugh has talked about this offseason as potentially the best defender on this team. Um, so, And he's a, he's a senior this year, so he's been around the program for a very long time. And he's... And he's earned his own uh, fair share of accolades yeah. um, and put some stats on the board, but he's never been the star. Um, but this could be that year where he steps into that role and, and fills that spot. Yeah, and he's absolutely expected, I think, to be a first-round draft pick. But before he gets there, he's going to be spending a lot of time in opposing offenses' backfields. I mean, he's going to be a sack machine. He's going to be a disruptor. He is you know, that prototypical guy that you want on your team as the guy you lean on. Yeah. Uh, and I think everyone's expectations are there and, and – that's really when you get to see either the guy who could show up or the guy who, who folds, and he's yet to be the guy that folds. Like you said, he wasn't the guy in seasons prior, but he's still a name where everyone's like, this is this is who we expect to, to roll right into it. Um, Junior Colson, you mentioned 101 tackles a season ago. He's primed for another uh, impressive year. And I think that that tandem of, of having you know uh, Jenkins and Colson just playing in that front seven is going to give other guys the opportunity to grow and improve and lean on, even though they don't need to necessarily lean on. Um, if, if you're going to look at weaknesses at Michigan's defense, I think that it's going to come in the secondary, mm-hmm. uh, only because there's not a lot of starting experience there. But the way that uh, Jesse Minter whipped this defense into shape and kind of kept them moving forward in his first season, I don't expect a whole lot of drop-off. And especially when you look at what Michigan's um, first five games looks like, they've got some time to tune up and to figure things out. Uh, I think teams are going to try and attack them there, and I think that they're going to have to grow into that secondary just because, yeah. you know, it, again, it's it's a young group. Um, you're going to need to see leaders emerge in that group. Um, but, again, this is a situation where there's high expectations, and I think the guys who are there are going to step up to it. It's just that's where I would maybe try and go after them, <laughs> um, primarily because yeah. I don't want to ah, off, <laughs> off the field when uh, Chris Jenkins pops me right in the ribs. <laughs> I would say, and I, I would assume most people would agree, that it's easier to have a, to a great front seven to make up for some weakness in the secondary. Oh, yeah, I'd rather have it that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. great secondary trying to make up for a lack of a, of a pass rush yeah. or, or run-stopping D. So, um, yeah, that's that should give them them time to find their answer um, back there. And, and they, they're, they've got Will Johnson, um, who was a, he started as a freshman last year and, and came on and – I think proved himself he'll be a starter. They don't have that second cornerback yet. They've brought in, I think, a late transfer from UMass. Um, and they've got some other guys on the roster that they'll try out. They've got a couple of safeties who who did play last year, who started last year, coming back. And so um, they'll still have a safety net back there that, yeah. that that's played together and, and, and has that experience. So, like you said, yeah, you're trying to find a weakness, and I and I it's it's more of just kind of a question mark right now who's going to end up stepping into that role yeah so I, I think what's really crazy though when you look at you know I, 
I guess I'm kind of in the headspace of what happens with new coaches, right? What happens when we get new guys in and, and we have to figure out new systems and new language and stuff like that. Obviously, it's relevant to us right now as Husker fans, and it's relevant to a lot of the Big Ten right now who are trying to figure out some new, new coaching situations and, and things like that. Michigan didn't miss a beat with with Minter coming in and, and taking over as the defensive coordinator. So, again, looking at the past three years, what this defense has achieved, they've just gotten better every year for the past three years, even in that coaching transition. And that, to me, is like a, a horrifying thing to think about as opposing teams that, like, now they're in year two. Now they're more comfortable. Like yeah. We're getting to the level where they're comfortable in a system. And I know Minter continued on in the system that was the year prior, so they got to build off of those blocks. Similar defense was already being run uh, in Baltimore, so they could kind of just meld real easily. But rushing yards per game from 2020, they gave up 178. In 2021, they gave up 126. And in 2022, they gave up 97. Passing yards went from 255 to 204 to 194. Jesus. Points per game went from 35 to 17 to 16. Turnover margin was negative 2, plus 2, plus 8. So, like, they're they're getting better everywhere. <laughs> and I don't know how to stop it. You know? And yeah. you, the thing is, you just, you, you don't really. Like, this is Michigan's time they've built to this point. They've, yeah. they've got their team. Uh, and I expect, I, I honestly, I expect this team to be in the national championship. Okay. I don't know that I expect them to win it, but I think that this team is going to come out. And whoever, whoever makes it out on top of the Big Ten with, like you said, Michigan, with Ohio State, with Penn State, and anyone who else might come out as a surprise, Wisconsin or Illinois or, you know, whoever might. Nebraska. Win games in the West. in the Big Ten. No, I know. Okay. I know. I'm saving that for <laughs> for later. Gulp. Um, yeah, I just, I, I really like this Michigan team yet again. Um, and uh, the fact that we have to play them, I, I it, it'd be fun to see the team that goes to the national championship play. <laughs> Yeah, we'll have a national title contender in Memorial Stadium. Yeah. Yeah. Two of them. Hey, there you go. Everyone, nice. Everyone's undefeated the first game of the year, right? <laughs> so you mentioned special teams uh, as being an, an area where, uh, again, we're not going to necessarily call them weaknesses, but where there's opportunity for um, question marks. And yeah. so uh, Michigan lost both Jake Moody and uh, Brad Robbins, who were both top-tier level kicker and punter yeah all timers uh, at their positions at that school. Yeah, and, yeah and they're having to replace uh but they're they're not replacing with the uh with the worst options i know that tommy doman is a five-star uh kicking prospect out of the coles camp he's expected to take over as punter i didn't i didn't look that far into like their past <laughs> their kickers and punters on their roster i only other than um i think this this is the doman guy is that his name yeah doman? okay um Two PATs, one punt for 41 yards, six for eight on kickoffs, kickoffs that went for touchbacks last year. So he saw some action. Mm. And that's it. But that's it. Yeah. That's all the experience they have on their roster for a punter or a kicker. And so they're going from, again, like two, like the all time greats at their positions at their school to like who the hell knows. Mm hmm. Um, so you would, you would hope, I mean, if they, if they can, if they can build guys like Jake Moody and they can build guys like Brad Robbins, you know, maybe the next one is, is already on campus. Um, but, but that's going to be, that's going to be something for them to figure out. And so, and you hope that for, they hope Michigan hopes that special teams doesn't, um, 
come back to bite them in the butt on a, in a during a close game. Sure. If if Michigan State drags them down into a, a rival slugfest, and <laughs> a happen. field goal or a punt, a punt decides the game. It's happened right with yeah. them, yeah. Um, you know, you don't you don't want something like that to to happen where you, you have a just yeah that knockdown slugfest and and then a and a botched field goal cost yeah. you an undefeated season. So we'll see what they do there. I don't. I like I said. I didn't. I didn't look too much into it other than I just saw they had big shoes to fill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was actually Moody's secret is he wore big shoes. Kick the ball it? further. That's cheating. Yep. Yeah. He put a spring on the on his big <laughs> yeah. toe. Every time he kicked, if you turn the TV up real loud, it went boing. <laughs> um, no, for kicker, they brought in uh, Louisville transfer James Turner. He went 20 uh, of 22 over four years. He'll be competing against Mississippi State transfer. Uh, Hudson Hollebeck for field goal duty. So they do have some Okay, so they brought there. some guys in? Yeah, they, okay. they brought some guys in on the transfer portal. Um, and uh, I don't know, if, do you want to make an insinuation about how they were brought in on the transfer portal as well? I mean... Well, they. I'm, I'm assuming they didn't get paid as much as... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> No, I. hey, man, I am all for NIL. I let, and I honestly, I love the open market, so... Yeah, I'm actually I'm a fan I'm, of it too. Not not complaining. All right. Well, any other thoughts on on Michigan when it comes down to it? Nope. nope. <laughs> I don't. Nope. I would rather not think about them too much. Well, like I said, they got a cushy schedule to start. Uh, no Power Five non conference games. The first road game is until Week Five at Nebraska. Uh, Ooh, first road game of the season for them. That could be meaningful. Stop. You know what you think? Four, two four and O teams. One with national title. And the uh, other hopes. one's Michigan. And, yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a college game near recipe if I've ever heard of one. Uh, they got, they've got Penn State and Ohio State on their schedule, but they get them late, so both teams should be in full stride. They'll know who they are. There so should I be can, some really fun games. Uh, that's going to be great football. Yeah. yeah. Really good football. Um, do you want to do a two-early score prediction for Nebraska versus Michigan? No. Okay. <laughs> well, it's in the outline, so we kind of have I, to. Is it? Oh, shit. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't come up with okay. any. Uh, Here, you, here's, you give here's, me yours, no, no, and then no, no, I'll no. I got an, back. I got an idea. Okay. I got okay. an idea. Okay, um, do you want to be Michigan or Nebraska? I, I'll, I, if I want to, like, from a football perspective right now, Michigan. Okay, Okay. so on three, I'm going to say a number, and you're going to say a number, and that's going to, I'll be Nebraska in this instance. Oh, okay. And that's going to be the score. Okay. That'll be our two early prediction. Okay. Okay, one, okay. two, three. Two. 100. Yes! Cool. Wow! I feel really good about this. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> you know, I'm real happy with how that game's going to turn out. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm a little disappointed that we gave up the safety. Yeah. Um. But you know you you can't be perfect. But I mean, uh, we 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 let our JV squad in. We let the practice squad in. Yeah, and the referees really kind of blew it. They they were eating typical uh, hot dogs. Big Ten. Yeah, they were choking down, <laughs> choking down wieners. <laughs> God, the wiener slinger. All right, that's All right. enough about Michigan. Yeah, don't you think? I've heard enough of it. Let's talk cool. about a different Michigan. Let's team. talk about Michigan State. Yeah, little brother. All right. So normally, again, I would give a little introduction, <laughs> but uh, I do not have one. Michigan State is uh, coached by Mel Tucker. Um, he's a guy who's been at that school, and I forget how many <laughs> years. I think it's, I want to say, four seasons uh, when it comes to Mel Tucker. Um, but Nebraska's going to take them on uh, November 4th. Last year, they went 5-7. and seven. Uh, Last time Nebraska and Michigan State played, it was a close one. Uh, Kenneth Walker III was real hyped up mm. for that game. Nebraska really held him down uh, and did not let him make hay, but uh, Michigan State still came out on top at the very end with a game-winning field goal, 23-20. That was another uh, one of nine heartbreakers <laughs> <laughs> during that season. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, 
that was Michigan State's miracle year where they brought in all the transfers and everyone was like, oh my God, this this is the future. Is teams are just going to free agency their way into potentially contending for league championships and making the playoff. Uh, and then Michigan State um, didn't do that. They kind of faltered off and they've continued to go downward yeah. from there. And so now they're kind of working their way back up. And I think people are questioning, was Mel Tucker's contract uh, worth it? No, it wasn't. And they're just going <laughs> to see see what happens. So didn't he sign it like a 10 year deal? It's a big, it's a big <laughs> yeah, it's contract. Like, it's a baseball contract. Yeah. I think, I think it's at least a million dollars. At least. Yeah. 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 Per minute. He's per there. Loss. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Oh man. I know some other coaches that we're closer to that would have liked that deal. <laughs> Are we bitter? I feel like we're bitter. We should be happy. It's preseason. A bit. It's, the, it's the hops in the cider. It is. Ah. We're, we're a little, we're tart. We're just a little tart. Hi, friends. This has been with Wannabe Walk-Ons. Drew just stepped away for a quick break, and I, you know what? I needed to get something off of my chest. It is August. Husker football kicks off on the 31st of this month, and I am in full, big, red mode. For me, that means I need to consume everything Husker football all the time, 100%, like no no let up. And And if you're like me, You're going to want to check out this incredible Nebraska football documentary coming from Nebraska Public Media called In the Deed the Glory Memorial Stadium. Now, In the Deed the Glory Memorial Stadium reveals the storied history, evolution, and significance of the stadium that we Nebraska fans call home Saturdays in the fall. Nebraska Public Media's newest local sports documentary takes you through the evolution of Memorial Stadium with the firsthand accounts from Husker legends like Tom Osborne, Eric Crouch and Trev Alberts, uh, sports reporter Mike Babcock, along with insights from university archivists, librarians, and fans, just like you and me, except, you know, they didn't didn't call me, but you know what I mean. Like, real, amazing fans get to be a part of this documentary, too, and, and, and in such, get to be a part of Memorial Stadium history. But in addition to the stories we all know, In the deed, the glory reveals little known and lost to history facts. Like, did you know Memorial Stadium has an underground indoor track? Or did you know that uh, there was a partial collapse of the South Stadium in the 1990s? Here's, Here's a fact I didn't know. In 1923, the initial build cost was $450,000, and it was financed by pledges made by university students, staff, alumni, and boosters. We're talking a true stadium built for the fans, by the fans. No wonder passing through those gates feels like coming home. So this special presentation documentary is also the perfect way to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the stadium built in honor of the men and women who served in World War I. So please do yourself a favor. You're in full big red mode. It's the month of August. Football is almost here. Tune in on Sunday, August 13th at 7 p.m. Central on Nebraska Public Media or Facebook Live to catch In the Deed the Glory Memorial Stadium. You can learn more by visiting nebraskapublicmedia.org forward slash memorial stadium. Okay, Drew's coming back, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you guys go, but check it out. All right, August 13th, 7 p.m., Nebraska Public Media or Facebook Live, In the Deed the Glory Memorial Stadium. 
Okay, I'm going to start this time. Okay. Um, how many pages is your true or false this go around? Oh, um, I was all, I was I had all my like stats and stuff. It's just like a not even a, maybe a quarter of a page. It's a okay. Quick, it's a okay. quickie. It's okay. A quickie. So here's your true or false. Michigan State's football program's first win came in 1897 under head coach Henry Keep. That sounds about right. 1897. Does for, it? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did you going to say true? True. Well, it's false, baby. Of course it is. F. Scott Fitzgerald. <laughs> <laughs> Bunch of ants. So, Mich- right. Michigan State's first win as a varsity non-club sport football team came in 1896. You really the worst, got me. <laughs> the worst true or false. Uh, Michigan State was, at that time... Known as Michigan Agricultural College, and their record in the 1896 season was one, two, and one. You might think that's the end of the fact, which would be rather disappointing, but it's not. Okay. The head coach for Michigan State in 1896 was not Henry Keep. Boom, got you there too. Ah, I love Henry Keep. He didn't take. Alzheimer's. He did not take the position until 1897. The head coach for Michigan State's first varsity football win was actually. Nobody for their first football season. They did not have a head coach <laughs> and still managed to win a single game. Good for them. They're just yeah. like, fuck it. Yeah. So yeah. who'd they beat? Do you know? I don't know. Some random school that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Probably like Michigan Canal Engineering <laughs> University. Wagon wheel design. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you never know with some of these schools. Yeah. Especially around that, that, that time. Yeah. But. I just like the fact they didn't have a coach. <laughs> That's pretty solid, though. Do we have to run sprints after practice? Let's ask coach. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> All right, Drew. So what is your true or false? Okay. Since you seem underwhelmed by mine. No, I liked yours. <laughs> you can't see the face I made. All right. But I did. I know. <laughs> That's your 10th heartbreaker there. Everyone knows that Motel 6 spokesperson and MSU grad Tom Bidette ad-libbed the Motel chain's famous motto, We'll leave the light on for you. But did you know another MSU grad improvised his own claim to fame when he created and sold the first ever Big Mac while working at a McDonald's on the East Lansing campus? Oh my gosh. So someone improvised... Two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onion on a sesame seed bun? I don't know if I believe that. Magic. That feels like... Like it would take time and thought and foresight? I mean, it just goes together so beautifully, and it reminds me of kind of like a, a Bob's Big Boy, like it was a riff on a different burger. Um, and he was just maybe using the ingredient. But like to then to make the, the Mac sauce... I'm, I, I clearly care too much about this. I'm just like, how can right. something so perfect yeah. have been divine intervention and just come just, upon a man like that? You know, college student working a job at McDonald's. And he's like, God, my buddy keeps bothering me for a third slice of bread. I'll show him where to shove it. Shove this one between your two buns. Uh, I'm going to say that that's false. That is false. Yes. Yes. So Jim Delegati... The creator of the Big Mac was, in fact, a Michigan State grad. Um, but he sold the first Big Mac 
in one of his Pennsylvania franchises in 1965. Oh, so it wasn't East Lansing. It was just wasn't in Michigan State. It wasn't while he was at Michigan State. Uh, his son claimed in a 2016 article with the Daily Telegraph that his dad ate a Big Mac every single week until his death in 2016 at the age of 98. Nice. So that's the fountain of youth for you. Yeah. Yeah, one Big Mac a week. Can I can I throw something out there? Yeah. Not that impressive. As far as one a week? I mean, no, yeah, that's not really. Yeah. Okay. You have a cheat meal every week? But he lived to the age of 98. Yeah. Smashing a Big well, Mac like, every week. Didn't the oldest like woman in the world, calories. like... Oldest woman in the world was uh was uh she like drinks Dr Pepper every day or something like that and they were like what does your doctor say about that she goes nothing he's dead <laughs> oh damn so the only doctor she needs is Pepper yeah there you go yeah but there you go yeah so uh Big Mac created by a, a Michigan State grad all right well I like Michigan State a little bit more do you like Big Macs you probably don't eat McDonald's I don't eat McDonald's and I've had I had one Big Mac in my entire life which is significantly less than the inventor. Um, so I'm, so I'm not going to make it to 98. Significantly less than your co-host. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't, I just, I'm not, I don't like fast food a lot. Any, like, I don't eat it anymore. Um, and I wasn't impressed. It was just not, it, I don't understand why it, people love it. But you can tell me why if you want. Because it's want. fast <laughs> and it's food. <laughs> it's my two favorite well, things. <laughs> But like specifically the Big Mac itself, I just think it's 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 well balanced. I could do without the middle bun. I could do without. So you um, just want a double cheeseburger? Yeah, but with like lettuce, pickle, onion, special sauce. The other thing that I don't like about the Big Mac is that there's only one slice of cheese, and you get two patties. So they only put one, you know, and like it could use more. And McDonald's cheese, there's something in that. I mean, when you're drunk, a McDouble, um, which also only has one slice of cheese, but a double cheeseburger from McDonald's. Is some serious business, man. That's how they make all their money. It is. They're holding. They back hold on back cheese. on the cheese. Yeah. Maybe that's why I don't like them. I just never could pinpoint it. I always go up and I go. I slide them a, a, a two dollar bill and I go. Give me an extra slice. Do you give me a slice of that. I would just slide them a piece of slice of cheese. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> craft single. <laughs> yeah. Sound like sound like Kirk Cousins. <laughs> the broken rib. <laughs> Bruised. Not broken. Oh, okay. So I don't want to know what it sounds like broken. Uh, yeah. So Michigan okay. State, huh? Michigan State. Yeah. They're a team that I don't <laughs> think I don't think is going to do well this year. What about you? I will agree with you. Of all the teams that we face from the Big Ten East, I think they are at the bottom. I actually did kind of a uh, a thing just as a little separate exercise on like where you know teams win and all that sort of stuff. I know that there's calculators that you can do that on and you can see teams and stuff like that. And I kind of just went yeah. through schedules. I, I do think they're going to finish second to last in the Big Ten East. Okay, in front of Ru- Indiana. Okay, I think oh. Rutgers is going to. I I I I'm probably higher on Rutgers than I should be. I I like Rutgers. I like what Greg Schiano teaches and coaches and his players. I like the way Rutgers plays. Um. They strike me as a team that could have been very similar to um, kind of Nebraska, where it's like games could go either way. They just got to learn how to win. Yeah. Um, in the past few seasons, and I think things could have broken differently. I mean, even when we played them, it was a close game. It was a tight game. They play hard. They they play um, you know sound football. They just got to shore up some mistakes. But I think that they're going to be better than Michigan State. That's right. They they do have a good defense. Yeah. So I guess yeah. So yeah, I uh, I think Michigan State is only going to be better than Indiana, 
and I think Tom Allen's going to lose his job. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think Mel Tucker's going to going to be on a hot seat. Um, I still think that Mel Tucker is a coach who can turn things around. He he clearly was able to do it one year. I just I think that the transfer recipe is not one for uh, elongated success. And I think the fact that right. he went out and did that two seasons ago, he's still kind of seen the repercussions of that and having to build a roster and an, an identity back up. Um, and you just can't do that year over year. I mean, Nebraska basketball is another perfect example of that. Like you have to have consistency amongst your roster to be able to build coherence uh, amongst your team and that sort of thing. And, and I think that um, in this age of the transfer portal, we're going to start to see that like it, it's a way to season your food, not to prepare the meal. Yeah. Is it is it more insulting to compare Michigan State football to Indiana football or Nebraska basketball? Look, Do you think? Um, <laughs> Jesus, man. No, wasn't, I, that wasn't a shot. I was oh, saying, yeah, like, yeah. I think that there's, you know, I think that Nebraska's finally building some consistency amongst their basketball program. Let's just and talk I, about Nebraska basketball. I, I know so <laughs> little about <laughs> Nebraska basketball. I know about, about Casey and... Uh, who? I like. Really? You don't know? That he's, staying, he's staying for another year. Oh, okay. I just know he's, he's, yeah, a, okay. he's fun no, to watch. No, no, no. I'm, I'm with you. Okay. I just... <laughs> basketball season's when I kind of get to take a deep breath. <laughs> No pressure, right? Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree with you with with, uh, with the way that Mel Tucker's doing things. I think he took his shot because I think he probably felt like he had to be successful right out of the gate. They're in a, the, the tough division. Yeah. Um, Michigan has been on the rise and has, has really taken over um, in terms of, like, the um, the attention and the spotlight as, as far as football goes. Um and so yeah, so I think he, I think he kind of um, played that hand maybe a little too aggressively. Yeah. And um, so yeah, they sh- they should be able to maybe eventually bounce back, um, but it it won't. I don't think it's going to be this year. Their their defense is just such a a mess. Yeah, and um, I think that their offense also has some some struggles, and it's going to have a lot of growing pains this year in trying to figure out. Yeah, where to go. things they didn't really account for. Um, they lost. Peyton Thorne to the transfer portal after their spring practice. Um, so they're, they're going to be using, it looks like Noah Kim's going to be their quarterback this year. Yeah. Um, they lost their top two receivers from 2022, including again, a post spring transfer um, from Keon Coleman, who who left for, for Florida state. Um, that other wide receiver, they lost Jaden Reed was a second round NFL draft pick. So they lost a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, just from that offense. And then uh, running back Jalen Berger, um, who came in from Wisconsin last year, he was okay, but he he wasn't like a bell cow type guy. He wasn't like a Kenneth Walker by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. And so they've they brought in some transfers again to shore up that room. And so they do. They, they've got a lot to work on in terms of that offense. Yeah, I, I think what's difficult too is they don't have an offensive line that has a whole lot of starting experience. They do have guys who've played, but not guys who... Again, you know, you talk about bell cows, guys you can rely on. They have some guys that are unproven in there. And without a quarterback room and a wide receiver room that has some of that chemistry, you know, these are guys who are coming in after spring games. So they're only going to have fall camp to really meld. And whatever work they do themselves in the offseason, they're going to be leaning pretty heavily on that running back room. And you mentioned Jalen Berger and some of those transfers. Nathan Carter transferred in from UConn. And I know that Michigan State and Michigan State fans are very high on what he's going to bring to the table. Um you know, uh, we know that UConn has a pretty damn good history of running backs the past few years um, because we've now got their you know running backs coach and, and we're pretty high on him, too, and what yeah. he brings to the table. And 
our running backs at Nebraska are looking pretty good and in the kind of work they've put in uh, in this offseason and, and the kind of um, respect they've earned uh, from, from Barthel. So I'm really excited to see um, what Nebraska's running backs do, but also that what Nathan Carter can do for Michigan State. And I think that he's probably going to emerge as the guy. It sounds like he kind of came to the Big Ten to be Michigan State's guy. Yeah. And I think he's going to either slowly or during fall camp earn that job as that as that bell cow uh, guy. You mentioned um, Peyton Thorne transferring out. It was a huge hit, you yeah. know, him transferring to Auburn. And um, that's one of those where you're kind of – it's shocking, right? You've got a starting position um, in the Big Ten East where the spotlight's going to be on you week after week. Even if it's a down year for Michigan State, you're still going to have plenty of eyes on you. Yeah. Um, but I think that it might be a self-preservation thing with an offensive line that he doesn't quite trust uh, and a Big Ten East that is going to come eat. You know, it's, mm. this is this is not a division that's going to tread lightly over a quarterback. They're going to do what they can to um, limit your future opportunities <laughs> is the nicest way I can put it. With the rules that surround protecting quarterbacks, there's still a lot of ways that quarterbacks can get hurt. And if you can't trust that offensive line. Uh, now going to the SEC for Auburn for a, another, you know, first year coach at a school that's a gamble too but but we'll right. see how that pays off yeah well and i you know and i maybe i i always second guess myself when we have these conversations but i only had their offensive line as having given up 18 sacks last year oh really yeah and so um and they weren't they weren't stellar you know by any means um but they're at least not allowing their their quarterbacks to get hit like kirk cousins this is the kirk cousins episode um that's a good callback though i mean he played for michigan state he did yeah i guess from 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 what i saw is they're not returning a lot of production starter wise on the offensive line and and to me that would be something that's worrisome not knowing how those guys are going to gel um from year over last so i mean yeah you know last year they could have been a, a productive offensive line but if you're not bringing back a lot of those same guys or the guys who were, you know, in charge of making sure that their quarterback was taken care of and protected. If they're not there anymore, mm-hmm. you, you look at the at the at the portal and you say, "I'm going to go somewhere else where at least um, I can I can show off." The SEC is a place where I can still demonstrate my abilities, go play against top tier talent, uh, and maybe I make it out of this season without uh, a major injury or a embarrassment or anything like that. Yeah, it could have been all those reasons. It could have been other reasons. Okay, this, this is the this is the <laughs> Drew conspiracy theory. Where, no, Hugh Freeze is a really upstanding. Um, he's taught us. He's shown citizen. us nothing but the fact <laughs> that he will get recruits to his school based solely on um, coaching acumen, coaching acumen, and and the quality of man that he is, mm-hmm. and that there is nothing, you know, yeah, below someone, the table going on. No, someone that doesn't just win over recruits, but you know, wins over moms. Yep. Yep. Gets them on board. Um. <laughs> so the defense, you mentioned that we you, can talk about defense. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, you're not very high on this. Uh, no. This do you want to know why? I would love <laughs> to know why. Okay. Let's talk about last year's defense first, okay. just to set the table. Here are their rankings and some key statistics. 115th uh, in third down conversions allowed. Yeah. But out of how many teams? 131 oh. for reference. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 105th in 10, 10 plus yard pass plays allowed. 
who throws passes over 10 yards anyways? Right, yeah. This is the old rough and tumble, run the ball down your throat, Big Ten. Who needs to throw the ball? For well, the 45th time, he hands the ball directly <laughs> to the tailback. Yeah, you don't have to worry about who passing for teams. three yards yeah. before <laughs> slipping on mud. Um, dead last in interceptions. They only had two as a Nowhere to go but up. <laughs> okay, that's a positive attitude. 120th in passes broken up, 126th in passes defended, 123rd in opponent completion percentage, 106th in yards per attempt, 125th in QB rating, a 26 to 2 touchdown to interception ratio, and they only faced 30 pass attempts per game on average, which ranked 39th. So it wasn't like teams were just like, fuck it, let's go balls to the wall, bombs away, spread the, you know. They were just picking and choosing uh, their opportunities and taking full advantage of this secondary on the whole. Um, it, it just, it was just a, it was an insanely historically bad defense as a whole. Yeah, you know, and it's not going to get any better. I don't think. I know. I know. I was kind of <laughs> coming to the a, If you're a Michigan State fan, now is a great time to load up on uh, Papa, Papa Moon, Moon Hard Cider. <laughs> no, you can find the double hard. So uh, the, a lot of the criticism that comes down for Michigan State, especially with their returners as well, um, their they're returning players on defense, is that their linebackers are not great in coverage. Um, Michigan State has historically been a, a stout team against the run, and they kind of continue that trend. That was where their their strengths lied on their defense was stopping that run. They kind of had to sell out against it, um, but their linebackers are not great in coverage. Their secondary is lacking starting experience. Um, they really like to disrupt at that line of scrimmage in hopes of helping their pass coverage, but you kind of talked about this with Michigan, right? Like you want those guys all up front to be good to help out the secondary, but your linebackers still need to be able to cover, like drop yeah. back and not get exposed in that in that second level. And, you know, when you're talking about 10-plus yards, that's tight ends, you know, do crossing routes and, and things like that where it's right at the, that first down marker. Um, and if teams can't get off the field, if Michigan State can't get off the field on defense, it's just going to tire them out and it starts to expose them. And, and I think Nebraska had a lot of those similar frustrations throughout the, the season last year and in the a few previous years where it's like couldn't get out and off the field in key yeah. situations. And then that wound up just tiring out this defense even more. Then when you're late in the game and you're relying on your defense to go out there and win it for you, you've exposed them and, and not just to – you know, strategic deficiencies, but also just they're exhausted. They're playing five quarters instead of four quarters when the offense is only playing two quarters, you know, so it's it's just not a fair thing. And I think Michigan State is going to be somewhat prone to those those similar things. And when you look across the board, rushing yards, passing yards, points per game, um, it kind of had a little swell in in 21 where they had some great numbers. And then in 22, it just went right back up to the to the 2020 numbers where they're right back to where they were. before Tucker, and that's not really where they want to be. You know, they yeah. want to be in that 2021 season and improving upon that. So that's why I think give them a little time, um, build an identity, start recruiting a little bit more as opposed to trying to bring in transfers to save the day. And um, and I think Michigan State can get back to prominence. This wouldn't be a school that would surprise me if, like, in the 24 class, they pick a, a wind up getting a five star. They wind up getting guys who can come and they want to play right away and they want to be in the Big Ten East. Um, and they want to be seen as the guy right out of the gate, I think they could be that because Michigan State gets a lot of that coverage mm-hmm. and they've had success in the past. Um, I could see both sides of the ball getting some success in the recruiting trail, and, and I think Mel Tucker is a charismatic coach who has an, an incredibly impressive resume at all the stops he's made both professionally and on the collegiate level. So I don't think they're going to be good this year, but I don't doubt that he could turn things around for them. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think they are still building, and they and they can recruit those like the blue collar type, the lunch pail guys, the chip on the shoulder, the ones who want to bring down Michigan while yeah. Michigan's up on the pedestal. They yeah, oh, they yeah. can get back to there, and they I we I ragged on, and we have ragged on their defense. They do have some pieces in place that that they've established and or that they are establishing, and that's in the middle with the defensive tackles. They've got three guys up front that they can rotate. They they played all twelve games last year. They're going to be back this year. Um, they've they brought in a, a defensive end from Texas A and M, which I think everybody in the nation got a player from Texas A and M. Yeah, yeah, I think that was it was like a, a fire sale. Yeah. Um, but so so Tunmice Adelaide, I think is is how you pronounce his name. Um, he's he was a highly touted high school guy who, uh, was a part of Texas A and M's fucking recruiting bonanza. Yeah. That blew up, and so he's come in. Um, one of their their points of emphasis is creating that chaos up front. And that should help that secondary that that struggled against the pass. Yeah. And so we'll see them them attacking their weaknesses. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I do like their defensive front. Like when you talk about that defensive line, I think that that's going to be their strength. That's going to mm-hmm. be what their entire team is built around. Right? Is that defensive line is going to have to disrupt as much as humanly possible in order to help get the ball back to the offense, who's going to need time to develop and grow and get experience just as a unit. Not necessarily in skill, but just in how they play together, and then to support that secondary that I think is is going to have troubles again getting carved up. You know, you mentioned that front Simeon Barrow and Zion Young are the two guys um, that come back as as returning Michigan State players that um, you know I think are going to help lead the charge on that. And then, like you said, they've got an impressive list actually of transfers who came in to, to kind of beef up that line and give them a rotation mm-hmm. um, that should help them in in key situations and against teams you know slowing down maybe not stopping michigan's run game but like at least putting a putting a little i don't know a little roadblock in there yeah um we can talk special teams and then we can talk about oh, can we? how you think yeah how, how you think uh, nebraska maybe lines up against the squad oh that's that's interesting um so i mean as far as special teams go it's kind of a similar story when it comes to uh what michigan's going through they're replacing um uh, Bryce Beringer, who's a sixth-round draft pick, Big Ten record holder, career punt average. So another rock star uh, in the punting game. Got a lot of practice last year, apparently, with Michigan State uh, punting during <laughs> games. And then they've got a kicking battle as well between uh, Stephen Rosnack and uh, North Carolina transfer Jonathan Kim. So it will be interesting, again, to see how this team develops their special teams and, and how they build that. We know Big Ten games, special teams are crucial. I know that's football in general. Uh, but it just feels like the Big Ten, uh, the, the better the competition, the more special teams plays into uh, the way that the games shake out. Oh, 100%, yeah. And and Michigan State got firsthand experience with that last year. They dropped a game to Indiana uh, because of a missed field goal. It's a chip shot 22-yarder. Um, as time expired, they miss it. They go to overtime and they end up losing. Um, Can and you imagine, the- like, losing to Tom Allen? <laughs> like, not to not to Indiana because these athletes are all at an elite level. You know, there's there's very little I think that distinguishes a Division one athlete depending on the school. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot distinguishes <laughs> coaches from Tom Allen and just like yeah. But imagine being a part of that post post game locker room, just pep talk. Oh yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, we're gonna go out there. <laughs> Oh man! So yeah, so Michigan State knows the importance of of having a special teams unit that you can rely on. Yeah. Um. And so, uh, and again, when you have certain deficiencies on 
uh, on defense and when you've got these all these questions and like new pieces on offense um, you really want to have that that third phase of the game locked down because you don't want to have to be being pulled in so many directions um, and you're going to find yourself in a lot of tough fights you especially in the east division um, with teams like Rutgers who are going to play a hard Maryland, who I think is a, we'll, we'll talk about. Who's I think that's going to that's going to be a very good game. Yeah, and that and I think that the Maryland Michigan State game I think is going to be kind of their bellwether game for each team. Yeah, um, they'll kind of be measuring each other in that one. So, um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how they how they replace some guys here and and whether they can find some some reliable reliable kickers in the field goal game. Absolutely. So, um, so you asked, how do I think Nebraska matches up against Michigan State? Um, I like this matchup uh, as it favors Nebraska. What I also like is when you look at the strengths of like Michigan State's defense being their defensive line, I like that we have uh, Jeff Sims hopefully healthy and well for this game, a mobile quarterback who can um, escape a defensive line that's going to try and be disruptive against an offensive line for Nebraska that we're still questioning. We've got some great talent that's going to be on Nebraska's offensive line, but there's cohesion that doesn't exist yet. Um, experience together as a unit, experience in general. We've got guys who are coming off of suspension. We've got guys who are coming off of injury. We've got guys who are transferring in. So there's a lot of question marks, even though there's talent for Nebraska's offensive line. Knowing that we have Jeff Sims to be able to escape the pocket, be mobile, make plays, and then attack the secondary and the linebacker core through the air with guys like Borkirker, Fedoni, um, and then you start talking about our wide receivers and like Xavier Betts and, and Washington. Um, you know, and uh, Isaiah Garcia Castaneda and Kemp transferring, Kemp transferring in. in. I, you know, yeah. I, I like the way that this is starting to shape up as a team. Um, the run game, I think, is going to be tough. It always is against Michigan State. You know, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of hay to be made um, uh, against that unit. But I really like the way that our offense uh, matches up against their defense with with the kind of playmakers that we have on on the offensive side of the ball. As far as defense goes, I like the defense that I saw in the spring game, but you never really know until you start playing games. Um, If I'm going to be honest, I like going up against uh, an offensive team that seems to be figuring stuff out, meshing out in a similar vein that Nebraska is going to be doing the same thing. But I like the way that our defense measures up as far as um, speed and the way that they like to attack coming downhill. Tony White likes to show you a bunch of different looks, likes to blitz, likes to be aggressive, likes to throw off quarterbacks and if you've got a young guy um, who's just not confident yet behind center even though we're already into November um, I like the idea of just constantly attacking being that that fly in the ear that's just always buzzing by and just just being the annoyance yeah I'm, I'm right there with you I think the the way that their weaknesses shape up right now um, I think Nebraska could take advantage of it and it would just take Jeff Sims being accurate um you know, being able to find his guys, having having three healthy running backs, hopefully at that time, who you can just rotate in, um, who all have different skill sets. Um, and then, yeah, defensively, yeah, like you said, Michigan State's going to be late, later, a little later in the season, so they might have some pieces figured out, but, you know, six, seven, eight games isn't, you know, the end-all, be-all for your right, experience. Right, right. So, um, And then I was also looking just at the way the schedule shape up, um, Michigan State, prior to Nebraska, they're versus Michigan. Um, they're on the road at Minnesota the week prior. They've got Nebraska, and then they're looking ahead to a, a trip to the, the Horseshoe. 
against Ohio State. And so they're in the middle of this oh, yeah. fucking that grueling. <laughs> yeah. It's like nobody. That's like a Nebraska schedule. No, Yeah, nobody wants that fucking schedule. And so where they'll be mentally and physically at that point, um, you know, they could be coming off of, of two just beat-down losses potentially with um, hoping Nebraska's an oasis before they, they face Ohio State. And so um, – so that's interesting from their perspective. And then from Nebraska, we're, we're versus Northwestern versus Purdue. We travel to Michigan State, and then we've got Maryland at home. So we're in the middle of this nice home schedule. Um, and I'm not saying that any of those teams are given. Um, I think those that, are teams, though. Cushy I, I wouldn't say cushy, but I think but that those are all teams that we should be saying, like, this is the level that we should maybe try and be at this season moving forward, right? Uh, a 6 7 maybe eight win team middle of the pack of, of the conference. Um, I don't think Purdue and Northwestern are going to light the world on fire this year with their coaching situations and things of that nature. Um, you know, Purdue having a first year coach Northwestern having to figure out their coaching situation. Um, Maryland is probably the biggest test out of that four game stretch. Um, and so I, I, I do think that like, we're not going to look at that as going, this is the easy part of our schedule because they're pushovers this is like the area where this should be good on good. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a, this is like if we were in, you know, year two or three and like the, and the rule rebuild is on pace, this is a stretch of games where it's like, cool. Like these are four games that we should be able to build momentum. And, and these yeah. are teams we should be beating at that point. So, but again, we're in year one. We don't know what's going on. Um, a lot of turmoil around these teams. It's July. Um, but just relative, those four games like match up. Like if you had to pick, Hey, which one would you? Which one would you rather? I would rather. I would rather have Nebraska stretch. (laughs) And so, yeah. So, I just feel like Nebraska is just going to be in hopefully a more comfortable place there, assuming all things are equal in terms of 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 health and and that. So, um, so I feel I feel okay about this game. Okay, I feel okay about this game. I think that's a good spot to be. I'll be Michigan State. You can be Nebraska. I'm gonna be for real this time. Okay, are you ready? One, two, three, ten. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Thirty to ten. I think. Yeah. That's I think. I think. Um, again, I think Michigan State um, is going to. They. They don't allow maybe a necessarily. I don't. I'm not going to say that. I might be mixing up things here, but I. I think that Nebraska might be able to move the ball through the air, um, decently well enough to they they can put themselves in position to score, um, and and capitalize on some of those weaknesses. And then I again I think if if we have a healthy trio of running backs or a good stable back there. Um, and I just listed off three guys, but didn't even include um, the new guy out of out of Jersey, Quentin, not Quentin, Ivis. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was in your Super Six, not yeah. mine. Um, him and then uh, uh, Emmett Johnson, mm-hmm. those guys could come on too. And you, so, wait, let me let me just make sure that your three are the same as my three, right? Like you're talking about Grant, you're talking about Urban, and you're talking about. Johnson Ramirez, Ramirez. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those three, I think those three are your leading guys right now. But okay, but so we have a lot of running backs if Irvin is a is the the wrecking ball and mm-hmm. Ramirez the knife what would you call Grant is he a sledgehammer is he like I'm trying to because in my mind in my mind Grant is smaller than what he is and then you see that Rutgers replay and you're like oh that's right he's he also massive so fucking physical he, he plays physical and I think he plays bigger than he is, but also mm-hmm. I think that I'm a fat idiot and he is bigger than he is. <laughs> I think he's, he could. No, you're not, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'm not here to build you up. <laughs> this isn't therapy. Um, I'm I. He's he's shown himself that I think he could be he could be your um, workhorse type guy. I'm just I'm just asking I don't, like how what tool would you compare him to? Like I'm I'm, liter- <laughs> I'm literally curious. Like if 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 Irvin is a sledgehammer and Ramirez is a knife. Like is he a chisel? Like where there's some edge to him? Okay, but there's also like he can cut no, through. No, because I think it's all... it's more blunt. He's okay. more blunt than that. Is he a blunt chisel? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know my uh, tools very well. Okay, he's a he's a he's some sort of hammer. Okay, a pinhead hammer because he's you can uh, like a, pi- ball a pickaxe. A ball peen is that pickaxe? I like that because they can carve. Yeah. But they can also like just do some brute damage. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Shatter the ice, open things up. Okay. Sure. Sure. I don't I don't know. I like it. Okay. <laughs> well, before we move on, we want to take a quick moment to talk about our very special show partner, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. Longtime listeners of the show know Wannabe Walk-Ons is the official podcast of the NCBG. The Guild is a professional organization that protects the craft brewing industry in Nebraska. The Guild's main focus is to encourage folks of a legal drinking age to drink Nebraska beer through promotion, education, and events. If you're a fan of craft beer like we are, you can learn more about the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild, find local breweries, and join the Nebraska Beer Alliance by visiting nebraska.beer. And on that, I think now is the perfect time to grab a second cider. Awesome. I can't wait. So Drew, our second cider from Papa Moon Ciders is uh, called Peach Spruce Tips Hard Cider, and it is an apple hard cider with some additional ingredients in there. And why don't you tell us what's in there? Yeah. So they have listed here, um, aside from the apple cider, it's peach juice and locally foraged spruce tips. Yeah. I So when I read the can, because we just had the hopped cider prior to this, I was thinking, okay, spruce, like maybe they use some sort of like West Coast type That's what hops. I was thinking and, too, Yeah, that's yeah. what I was expecting. But then, um, no, locally foraged spruce tips. I don't know what a, what do you know what a spruce tip is. Yeah. I mean, it's from a spruce tree. Right? I mean, as long as there's no further questions, I know exactly what it is. Excellent. <laughs> it's it's obviously the tip of a spruce. Yeah. You know, okay. just the tip. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you need, man. So what do you think about this cider? Because I'm, I think this is very interesting. I'm blown away. Um, I I would not be able to describe uh, in in the details that you would be able to as far as like what I'm actually tasting other than it's fuck, it's fucking incredible. Um, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, you obviously pick up on the peach. I don't get like a, I don't, I don't get like a, like the piney, like Mm-mm. dankiness. That, no. That's not there. Um, there's, there's like a floral lightness. There's yeah. like a, a, a crispness that comes out of this. And, and that might be the spruce. That might be the apple. That might be the peach. That might be all those things working together. The, the, the mouthfeel on this is soft. I mean, it, it doesn't, mm-hmm. it, there's no bite to it. it it's it probably helps that we had another cider before this to take away some of that tartness, but that peach, I don't know. When, sometimes maybe you feel the same way. Peach can be one of those flavors that it tastes like you're eating peach candy whenever you get something oh, that's yeah. peach flavored. This doesn't taste like peach candy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's again there's a lightness to it. There's a floral quality to it, um, without it being perfumey. Right there's yeah. just like that light, crisp, easy to drink. Like this. Um, we're, we're probably both thinking the same thing where it's like year end. This is a year end lister. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of sad that I only bought two of them. Like I only bought enough for us for tonight because you never know, right? When you, when you try out something, if you're trying new things and you're right. exploring, 
These were available at Wine, Beer, and Spirits um, off uh, 144th and Center. They have a whole selection. They have more than just this. They have a maple bourbon barrel aged hard cider. Okay. Wow. They have um, a jalapeno hard cider, which is the time that I will allow some some chili pepper as an adjunct in mm-hmm. my drinks because it does balance that apple really well. Like culinarily, it, it works. Um, they had a, I believe, a mango habanero. And then they mm-hmm. had a margarita, which had, had lime and, and salt as okay. well to it. So be really good. But but seeing what these two can do and then hearing that there's other options out there is, is going to lead me to some exploration. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And we and before we uh, pushed record, um, we were, I, I talked about I, I don't drink ciders. Like, I just yeah. don't. Um, but because I only have ever had, like, the major brands that you, you find, like, uh, not to throw Angry Orchard and, and whatever under the bus, but, like, um, I just don't enjoy it. It's, it is. It's, like, it's just sugary sugar bombs. Yeah. Um, and I don't want that. Um, these are so beautifully natural yeah um in every sense that um yeah i I, i'm i'm genuinely impressed yeah so and i love that you can get them here locally in omaha and and hopefully some other other spots around the state yeah this this is the first time i saw them on the shelves and i was like oh we got to cover these guys because um i like finding craft ciders because they're also a part of the guild there's there's some really interesting things around distribution Mm -hmm. and and so you might be wondering well why is a winery or a, a craft cider place in the guild for beer. But with the way that Nebraska's laws are structured, it actually benefits them to be a part of the guild for beer in terms of distribution. And so that's why they kind of commingle sometimes. And you'll see all the craft cideries um, are in the craft brewers guild because it makes it easier for them to help pass legislation for uh, getting their stuff across the state and that sort of thing. So mm. uh, it's neat that they are a part of our association. Our, you know, We can be affiliated and say these are one of the things that we cover because we can support them and do that fun stuff. But yeah. when I came across it, I was like, oh, they're in. Yeah. Like, we're going to totally cover those because I like ciders. Um, and I especially like ones that are no sugar added where you can taste the fruit. Yeah, I think I'm willing to admit that I like ciders too because we when we did Sarah Cider, it was yeah. the same sort of thing. It's like I don't like ciders, but it was like holy shit, like these are actually really good. Yeah. Um, but this, I think there's a it's it's great that that um, that these guys are under that umbrella, like you said, with the with the Craft Brewers Guild. But it's it's also I think they're under the same umbrella in the sense of um, you you can build up an idea of like what something is or should be in your mind, and you just have these preconceived notions about it, and then you and then you try. Uh, you know, you put yourself out there, you try something, and it's like, oh, like no, like this is what it's supposed to be. This is where maybe it started and originated, and then it morphed into um, something it shouldn't have been, which is what you think it is, and then you're back to what it should be. If that makes it's a super vague way of saying <laughs> it's a really good fucking cider. Yeah, I I followed I you as 100%. It's as it's supposed to be. Yeah, um, yeah, it's wonderful. So yeah, they're celebrating um, ten now. I think eleven years in business. Um, Again, they're using local ingredients. They're using local artists to design their cans. Mm-hmm. Um, their name has uh, the most beautiful backstory. Yeah. I mean, it's just so sweet. It is. And now to think, too, that, like, little Liam is probably, like, 12 now, you know, and he's got this legacy. Like, he created this brand. Yeah. Papa and, Moon. Yeah. And in about wow. eight more years, nine more years, he can enjoy it. <laughs> right. Because I'm sure he's never had a sip. No. Apple juice. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. Oh, here, here you go, Liam. Here's your pre-cider. <laughs> go forage some pine tips. Here's, here's tips. some cider. <laughs> now you wait <laughs> and see what that becomes. Uh-huh. Awesome. So check out Papa Moon. You know, give it, give it opportunity. Do. Please They're do. a winery. They make cider. 
Uh, they make mead, um, which all of those things are delicious. So I'm sure that they're also delicious from that company. But without any further ado, we should probably head into our, our final uh, chunk of the episode, which is talking about Maryland football. And we've given a little precursors that you and I are um, kind of high on Maryland, like feeling like they're going to have a good squad this year. Um, Nebraska is going to take them on at home November 11th. Uh, last year, they finished with an 8-5 and five season. Um, the last time Nebraska played was 2019. Nebraska won handily 54-7 to seven, um, early on in Mike Loxley's tenure as head yeah. coach at Maryland. So some things have changed since he's taken over and, and developed this team and brought in some very serious talent. Maryland's always been very good at recruiting. They can, they can pull in some, some high-quality players. Um, they've got a great quarterback at hand. So there's a lot of good things going for Maryland momentum-wise. Um, Nebraska is 2-0 and against Maryland, so Maryland's going to be coming in looking keep that, to... Keep that streak alive, break, please. Yeah, <laughs> keep it alive, but I think Maryland's really going to be gunning for it, and I think yeah. um, Maryland's going to have a shot at being a pretty good team, mm-hmm. uh, especially having to go against the Big Ten East. I think that uh, a record above you know, seven, eight wins is, is nothing to be uh, upset about, and I think that that's in the cards for them. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, they... Their eight wins last year was the most since 2010 for them. They are stuck in in a god-awful situation being in the East um, for them. I think that really just pushes down their ceiling. Um, and so I think, yeah, an eight-win season this year, again, would be would be success. I think that would still be progress. Even though they don't build on the record, I think they can still continue to um, improve on defense and improve on offense with, with new coordinators this year, but with um, – a returning starting cast of, of skill position players that are really special. Yeah. Um, and so Nebraska is definitely gonna have their hands full, um, playing them this year. Um, and yeah, I've, I've, I'm honestly, I've been impressed. I was, I was impressed with them last year looking when I was looking at them. Um, the one thing that that's, um, held them down again is just playing the big three every year. Yeah. But even against those teams, even though they haven't beat them the past three years, They've still become significantly more competitive yeah. against Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, and then in the in the other games against conference opponents and non-con, they've gotten better at winning, the, like beating the teams they should beat. Sure, and that's such a huge development, I think, for any team, and and for Mike Loxley trying to build Maryland into, um, not I mean they're not going to be a national power. There, I don't think they're going to really seriously compete for even an East division title regularly, um, if at all. Um, but which, which I don't, the East isn't going to be around for another year or two, but, no. um, but he's, he's built them into, um, I think, he, and, and I think he can build them into a team that is consistently competitive against everybody on the schedule. Yeah. Uh, well, before we jump into specifics, you know, we gotta, we gotta feed our own egos and do the true or false. Cause oh, it's sure, our favorite yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, and it's your turn to go first with the true or false question. Okay, here we go. Everyone knows Matt Rule's successor as head coach of the Carolina Panthers is former Maryland quarterback Frank Reich. But did you know? I didn't know that, by the way. Uh, well, now, well, now everyone knows. <laughs> did you know Frank Reich currently holds both records as the quarterback to lead the largest second-half comebacks in NCAA and NFL history. That's false. It's got to be false because Kirk Cousins 
<laughs> it's the Kirk Cousins episode. <laughs> Kirk Cousins broke the record of the largest uh, NFL comeback. Just last year. Yeah. 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 So so it is false, but it was at one point true. <laughs> it was at one point. I am the biggest <laughs> Kirk Cousins fan. Because of nothing other than his personality is so entertaining. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So it was true at one point. In 1984, when he was a quarterback of Maryland, they came back against Miami. Miami was um, up 31 to nothing at halftime, and Reich led them back to a 42-40 to win, um, which that record actually got broken by Michigan State who beat Northwestern after trailing by 35 points oh, wow. in 2006. Um, and then 1993 Buffalo versus the Houston Oilers. Houston led 35-3 to early in the third quarter, and Reich led Buffalo to a 41-38 to win, which stood until last year when the Vikings defeated the Indianapolis Colts, coming back from 33 points down. Frank Reich had been the coach of the Colts in 2022, but he was fired earlier in the season. So he was not a part of that game. <laughs> he probably would but have. He, is, he would have been like, hey, I've seen this before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. Hey, guys, we shouldn't, we shouldn't fucking blow this. I know what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just interesting that he's been a part of these, like, insane swings yeah. in these games, usually on the uh, positive end of them. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting. It was like it, it just tied in. There's so many like Big Ten ties, Matt Rule and, and Frank Reich connected in a very distant way. Yeah. Um, there you go. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, way to sniff that one out with your Kirk Cousin knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. He's he's the most mediocre. Um, <laughs> here we go. This one's uh, this one's this one's kind of short. This one's kind of interesting. Um, first off. Maryland had a had a coach whose name was Harry Clifton Curly Bird, <laughs> and um, that's insane. You could awesome. you asked me if that was a true or false. And true yeah. or false? <laughs> his, his, they called him Curly Bird. Okay, so Harry Clifton Curly Bird, Maryland's football coach from 1911 to 1934. Uh, Those years make sense for that name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is the man who is credited with suggesting Terrapin as the university's nickname. And was also credited mm. as being Chris Field, Maryland's first recreational jogger. <laughs> I feel like I feel like he was definitely the first recreational jogger, but you threw in the other terrapin thing to throw me off the trail. Everything I told you was true. <laughs> I mean, yes, because it's amazing, but damn. It is all true. The terrapin yeah. nickname, a college coach not named Kirk Ferentz lasting 23 seasons. <laughs> The fact that his name was Curly Bird, and he was his hometown's first recreational jogger. Recreational jogger. Yeah. Nobody else in that town ever went out for a little jaunt. No, not he, recreationally. How do, you, how do you even document? How do you know? And is that something you really want to be known for? I mean, if Jim Harbaugh was wh- wherever he's from's first recreational jogger, we we'd know, know about it. <laughs> I don't know who perpetuates simpler, that. Simpler times. Actually, so um, that, that fact was on Wikipedia, right? And okay. so when it's on Wikipedia, the, the right thing to do is just believe it. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you go to the, the sources, right? And you cite uh-huh. it. Well, there was a book that was actually written about 
that town, that Chrisfield, Maryland. Okay. And in that book, he was cited as the first recreational jogger in the area. So, like, it's actually a part of the town's history. Why was it significant? Well, because he was a significant person from that town. Because he was a Maryland coach. coach. Yeah. Look, man, (laughs) ask ask Scott Fitzgerald (laughs) why he wrote the book. I don't know. (laughs) It's just so curious to me that, like, people, that somebody would be like, this is important. We need to write this down. Okay, so someone was like, (laughs) okay, we're going to go around the room, everyone. Say say one truth and two lies. (laughs) And he was like, um... Man, people call me Whirly Bird. Uh, people uh, don't think I came up with the name Terrapins, and I'm also the first recreational jogger. And they were like, "Oh, he." The truth is the jogger thing because we've seen him around town, and the shorts are way too short. It's, yeah, <laughs> especially for 1906 when you were doing this in high school or whenever it was. Oh man, that's that's fascinating to me. I don't know why. I want to know who like Omaha's first recreational jogger was. By then, I mean, if it, if it was happening on the East Coast, it probably took a few years for the craze to make it this far. But yeah. 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 Well, good for Curly Bird. Someone someone was <laughs> driving their Model T from from Crisfield, Maryland, all the way to Omaha, and then someone was jogging alongside. I'd be like, what's this new horseless <laughs> carriage, my friend? Oh, man. I love that one. That was a good one. So there you go. All right. I don't think it beats... F. Scott Fitzgerald. I mean, nothing that's, beats a, a drunken phone call from a. Uh, he was not drunk. He was rolling on cocaine. <laughs> like, we're we're Grand Perry. We're working our way through like uh, HBO's Deadwood right now. My wife and I are. Yeah. And they had dope back then. I'm sure that friggin' he, F. Scott Fitzgerald was. I'm sure he had some very high quality he had some sugar boogers stuff. going on. I mean, <laughs> that guy was. Oh man. So. Back into talking about Maryland football now that we've, you know, derailed and have to rebuild momentum um, like Michigan <laughs> State. <laughs> oh. um, we can jump right into, you know, their offense and their offensive strengths. And I think it, it starts under center uh, with Talia Tagabailoa. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that that guy is a stud, fun to watch. Yes. Um, fits really well in what Maryland's trying to do as far as like mobility big shots, being an aggressive offensive player, um, just exciting in a way that not a lot of Big Ten quarterbacks are. And I think that's what makes Maryland um, so fun to watch and so distinguishable is they still play kind of like a an ACC team as far as that gunslinger attitude. Uh, but then they start to bring in the, the speed on defense and they start to bring in some of those things that makes the Big Ten such a formidable conference as well. And they're starting to blend those in a way that um, – you know, maybe Scott Frost was kind of thinking he could do where he was bringing in the power with the speed. Yeah. Um, but that, that to me is like the perfect jumping off point in, in talking about uh, Maryland. It's yeah. Like you, it starts you start, there. You start with their quarterback. He, um, he holds 11 school records already for like career records. <laughs> He's played for two and a half years, you know, including 2020. Um, and yeah, he does. He has mobility as a quarterback, but he doesn't really run the ball a lot. Right. He's such an incredible passer. Like he's he's just good at distributing the yeah, ball. Yeah, I guess mobility and, and for me is getting, ex- extending plays. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, which I think is what you want when you say like we want a mobile quarterback. It's like I don't want to I don't want to run my guy up the middle every play and like you risk don't. injury. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. Like that's a that doesn't lead to success. Recipe. You don't want your quarterback to be taking hits. 12, 15 times a game on purpose. I don't agree with that. Yeah. 
I think you can do it and you can win lots of games. <laughs> you could you can win at least 16 games over the course of four seasons. <laughs> with that bare minimum, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, he is he is um he is a really great great quarterback in that sense and and the fact that he's still got a couple years hopefully with them um to continue to to just build his his reputation and, and hopefully help build this team um and make them again contenders in the east or at least competitive in the east it should be fun to watch um he gets his top two pass catchers back this year and Jashawn jones at wide receiver and Corey dykes at tight end um but they did also lose about a third of their total receiving yards to the NFL. They've got three wide receivers who went as undrafted free agents um, last year to the NFL. And so he'll, he'll have some new guys to throw to um, transfers out of, of Florida International. I didn't put down their names, but Florida International, West Virginia, some guys that with experience. Um, so I, f- I feel like they're not going to miss a beat on offense in terms of the passing game. Um, young guys at running back. Who are who are going to be exciting to watch develop? Uh, redshirted freshman Roman Hemby. Yeah, um, almost put up a thousand yards last a thousand year. Thousand yeah. yards, yeah, as a freshman. And this is why this is why I, th- I like the the redshirt rule where you get those four free games and you still get to keep your redshirt because he he got a, a couple games under his belt as a true freshman, um, and then was able to take on the starting starting role as a redshirted freshman. And so um, I, don't know, I feel like I just having that that year to adjust, get a little bit of game experience in your belt, and then take off. And he's and he's done that, and so he'll continue to develop. He's got Antoine Littleton behind him, who's change of pace. If you want to talk about a fucking a tool, <laughs> I don't. What what's the biggest sledgehammer you've ever seen? That's a, who. Oh, like a that, that's a who big this, sledgehammer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a big sledgehammer. A big one. That's who this guy is. Yeah, okay. he's a he's a fucking bowling ball. He's a two thirty five running back, but he can still. Um, he's not just like pound him out for three yards like he actually had some legs under him and, yeah. and can gain some yardage so um offensively they've got all these tools all these pieces in place um from the skills side of things they were a little stagnant in terms of scoring in terms of production and so they brought in some new coordinators with familiar names and josh gaddis and kevin sumlin mm-hmm. um and so we'll see we'll, how that works out and i i feel like having new fresh ideas from experienced coaches guys who Mike Loxley trusts um, and and knows pretty well, I think they're going to be able to do some really interesting things to stay competitive and, and even improve a little bit on offense here. Uh, yeah, you know, to go back to a food analogy, um, which I've thrown <laughs> Everything's in. Everything's food with you. You know, it's either food or it's tools, <laughs> you know, or it's yeah. Kirk Cousins, yeah. you know. Um, it's like a Mad Lib. Every time I open my mouth, what, <laughs> what's, like, what's going to yeah. come out? But the the offense to me is is a stew for Maryland, right? Like mm. they're they're gonna need time to simmer, but all the ingredients are there. Okay, right. Yeah, like, like they've that. got everything the recipe needs. It's just a matter of how quickly does this come together. Um, and and I think that I personally think that this is going to be a unit that comes together quickly. You've got a head coach who's built rapport and has kind of stayed on the same track. You're bringing in high quality guys uh, in those offensive coordinators to assist and and and. Uh, really put this team together and you saw that Michigan could do it in a year. And I think that if you've got the consistency and the foundation uh, in your players and in your coaching staff, you can bring in outside coordinators and they can be successful right away. Yeah. Um, I pegged this Maryland team at eight, eight wins. Um, I don't think nine would be surprising, but I think that, that eight should be their expectation because I think they're capable of it. They remind me of Purdue of last year, right? Where they are a very solid team. Um, where they are going to be someone who is a threat 
to anyone who comes into their stadium or that they go visit. They may not get it done against the big dogs again, but if they were to pull an upset off against a Penn State uh, or an Ohio State or a Michigan, um, it I don't want to say it, it wouldn't be surprising. It would still be a surprising game because I still think there's room for them to grow into that. Um, but I wouldn't be like, yeah, they don't. How do they do that with those guys? Like, I believe they have the ingredients. It's is this one that melds to that level? Yeah. So I I really am am high on their on their offense. I think very highly of what they bring to the table. I do not like um, the thought of playing them, <laughs> if I'm being honest, <laughs> because I think that you know every time that I turn on the TV and I watch Maryland play, it is an explosive offense. It is one that can get hot and stay hot. Uh, in the right kind of game. And if you can't, you know, put out that fire, um, it's a tough place to be, especially when you want to be a ground and pound team that runs behind a two tight end set. Um, and Nebraska's got a wide receiver group that hasn't really played a ton together. They've got great names on that wide receiver group, but I don't think that it's the strength of Nebraska's offense in the, in the 2023 year. I don't think that we can play catch up with a Maryland team if they start running away from us. So this is an offense that you've got to disrupt early um, and and not let them get out from under your foot. Yeah, um, and I think when when you're ta- looking at as far as like Nebraska goes lining up against these guys, um, if you can't rattle Tagovailoa at all, like if he's able to just kind of execute, he's a high percentage thrower. He's again, he's just a great passing quarterback. And we we talked a little earlier about you know like Nebraska. Nebraska has a, a really great secondary. I think full proven guys. Um, I think this is gonna be a strength of the defense. The questions up front. And that's not necessarily what you want. It, it's better to have the reverse of that. And so this is one of those matchups where it could be tough. Um, if as if it's any consolation, um, Maryland's weakness on offense, I think for them, last year, of course, was, was on their offensive line. Um, they're bringing in four new guys. Um, they've only got one starter that's returning from what was just not a great, great front. Um, they gave up over three sacks a game, ranking 119th in, in college football, um, allowed almost seven tackles for loss per game, which was outside of the top 100 in football again. And so this will be a, a completely retooled offensive line. If they can find any semblance of consistency to um, to allow all those skill players to to cook, um, then they'll, they'll be successful. It's It's scary to think that they won eight games last year with the offensive line that they had. Like, that's just how, how good the rest of those pieces around them yeah. are. Um, so if they can, again, find any any little bit of consistency, again, they'll, they'll, they'll push eight wins, maybe, you know, maybe nine if things are really clicking. Yeah. So, and like you said, if, yeah, if they, if they pull off one of those big upsets, that's, that's the next step for them is knocking off one of the big three. Um, win all the games that you're supposed to win. They've shown that, that that's what they're able to do now. Now it's can they can they take down one of the big dogs? Yeah, I mean, if if Michigan was is the blueprint, right, is the ultimate goal. Um, I think Maryland is is kind of the first pit stop Nebraska wants to get to, which is being a team that can consistently get to those those wins and win the games you should win, and then mm-hmm. challenge the big guys. Like that's that's where I think you know if if obviously we all want to be twelve and zero the first year, and of course it's going to happen. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we haven't revealed our season predictions yet. <laughs> it's spoiler alert. But, but if we're if we're really talking about um, 
you know, where, where Nebraska needs to be to build and to, to keep momentum moving forward and to continue to recruit at a high level and build upon the level that they're recruiting at and, and sell the vision, you have to get to a point to where you're winning all the games you should win. The question right now is what are those games for Nebraska? In two seasons, Maryland should 100% be a game that Nebraska should win. They just don't have the same resources that Nebraska does. Um, and and they, they are not necessarily recruiting at the same level that Nebraska does. Um, but who knows where that's going to be um, as, as far as where Nebraska continues to kind of roll on that front. But I like the look of Maryland as a team saying like, I'd like to be where Maryland is at in year one and maybe year two if it takes a little bit longer to get things going where we're beating the teams we should beat and we're competitive against the guys who we want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's if that's where Nebraska can start to build, then like I'm bought into the vision. Yeah. One, what's crazy is Maryland... Um you know, you, you talk about their recruiting. They they do they do pretty good. They do pretty good. I'm not I'm not trying to knock their recruiting. They do, but but they're still um for the amount of talent that comes out of Maryland, they they don't keep guys at home. And if they if they did, they would consistently be a top twenty recruiting. Well, don't tell them school. that. They're they're more like top forty. Mike, right? Mike, turn off those podcasts but, now. <laughs> he knows. He, you, if you hear Mike Loxley talk about recruiting and keeping kids, like he his his philosophy is the same as like pretty much any other college coach. We want to keep the, we have a radius, right? We want to keep the guys in state at home, blah blah blah. Um, and he, but he he's admitted he's like, look, we're Maryland, like we don't have the same NIL uh, strength that a lot of these programs do. We just don't have that. He said he's recruiting, um, you know, with like without hit two legs underneath him, and so. For him to for him to build this without yeah. that that brand power and without that recruiting power that they could have, um, just it's just a testament to to his capability as a coach, I think, and his ability to, to develop the players that he does have on his roster. Um, and so, yeah, if you want to talk about people that, that Nebraska can look to as far as blueprints, I think it is a good one. Um, Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, this really was a really long-winded way of saying that you're a smart guy, Ben. Thanks. Yeah, you really know what you're talking about. Well, and I agree. Most most people <laughs> agree with with you on that. That I really know what I'm talking about. Just ask my wife. Two she, p at least two people at this table. Yeah. Right now, right now. Yeah, and if yeah. there was a mirror, maybe it'd be three. <laughs> <laughs> um, not to uh, completely derail the conversation again. Um, off the rails. Maryland's helmet. Where okay, if if there's a spectrum of greatest college football helmet or Fucking ugliest trash helmet. Where do you put their helmet? Their flag helmet? Yes. Um, is it good or is it bad? I'm curious. I don't have... A, me, a... personally, I like it in its uniqueness. Yep. I And it doesn't, it doesn't like, scream of so much chaos on, like, in such a small space that it, like, bothers me. I mean, it makes sense, right? It's their state flag. It's their state flag. And if it, if Nebraska had their state flag on their helmet, it would be garbage because it's a, we have a terrible blue, state blue flag. Blue with the seal, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. It's It was, I, and I think, didn't they change it? Aren't they going away from it anyway? Aren't they doing Terps? Like yeah. The script, I think there's, terps? I think script they have variants, nice. but like yeah. they, that flag helmet, I think, I think is a very divisive helmet. Oh, it is. Yeah. Um, have they ever done a turtle shell? Because I feel like a turtle shell design could also be equally polarizing. But that would be. But you might be able rad. to pull. You might be able to pull that. What off. if they did? What if they did? Hold on, I'm going to swing the mic away. <laughs> okay. What if they did a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> helmet? How sick would that be? You know how like um, uh, the midshipmen have like different uh, 
carrier classes, like they have different, like the quarterback wears like an F-16 and then like the defensive line has an aircraft carrier on their helmets, like in certain games. I didn't know that. Yeah, in certain games, like they have different airbrushed helmets. What if they had the different Ninja Turtles? Oh, that'd be cool. Who and, is your Ninja Turtle? <laughs> oh, um, okay. So you had. Are you going to rank them top four? No, 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 no. Okay. No. Um, you want me to list them for you? No, I, I know them, right? You've got Mikey, you've got Raphael, uh-huh. you've got Leo, uh, and you've got Donatello. Yeah. I'm just trying to remember which one's which. I think. Um, Michael, Michelangelo was orange. orange. Raphael was red. red. Donatello was purple. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, you're right. Purple. Purple? Okay. Purple. And then blue was, was Leo. Okay. Um, I. I don't know. I don't know if I had a turtle. Who was yours? Huh? Raphael. Raphael. Yeah, with the he had the the forks. Yeah, the little hand forks. I don't know. I, don't, if you, I think that's wildly <laughs> offensive to people who 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 practice martial arts. Yeah, probably um, hand forks. They don't, yeah, they, um, Michelangelo I, was obviously like the wild card. He's a cool guy. Yeah, but he was like he was out there, and I was trying to be sensible. You know, even as a seven year old, I was like, I need to not. Look Which, at him as my I, I was model. I was whatever was the smartest and most attractive one. Uh, <laughs> the ones you could relate to. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, I want to be like, oh, here we go again. You know, I was like, I was always the Red Ranger because they're like, man, you're the natural leader. And I was like, I know. Yeah. <laughs> we all look up to you. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, defense for <laughs> Maryland. Um, what do you think? What do you think about, you know, this is another situation um, for me, at least, where it's it's kind of the. They'd probably rather be on the alternative. I think that their their strength is in their secondary, uh, their back seven. They returned five uh, of seven starters uh, in their linebacker and in their in their um, secondary, which makes them you know definitely a threat on defense to um, stop the passing game and, and really get to focus on the run because they have such strength. I think they can mentally be more focused on there and leave guys on islands because they've got guys back there who can. Uh, make the most of of their one on one coverage and on their man coverage. Yeah, they but they did also bring in some some transfers. Cause I think they recognize that there's room for growth and quick growth. Yeah, so they shore things up, and so uh, they brought in Jaquan Shepard out of Cincinnati, um, and a safety Avante Williams from Miami to to help on the back end of things. Um, I'd made a note of of uh, their top two tacklers last year. Yeah, were both um, defensive backs, and they're the only team in the big 10 to have their top two tacklers be defensive backs well they were also super susceptible to the big play and that was kind of a weakness on that defense and so when you're when you're susceptible to the big play who's your safety net yeah you know it's, no i know that's yeah, yeah that's indicative of a, of a serious serious it's an issue. issue yeah um and so yeah so that I I, I I don't know that was just something that was that stood out to me um they were but they overall they were a successful on defense. Well, and you know, teams, Despite that. teams have, have kind of learned that you kind of do go after Maryland through the air. You know, there's mm-hmm. the Maryland's not bad against the run, but they're, they're not the greatest against passing game and the experience should help them with those guys returning. Um, and with the additions that you talked about, uh, but teams kind of stopped running as heavily against Maryland and knew they could kind of expose them through the air rushing yards per game. You know, when you look at that, you go, Oh, their defense got really good on rushing. Well, no teams kind of adjusted accordingly. They went from 230 yards uh, rushing per game in 2020 to 133 yards is what their defense allowed. Mm-hmm. But the passing went up. They went from 200 yards uh, to 223 yards. So teams were going more through the air and making the conscious effort to do that. Um, that being said, they got, did get better on scoring defense, only giving up about 23 points per game coming off of 32 points in 2020. So over the past three years, their their scoring defense has improved. 
um, limiting teams from getting in the end zone and that sort of thing. But teams do know how to attack Maryland. And I think mm-hmm. Maryland knows that teams know how to attack Maryland. Uh, and so they are taking measures against, against that. Yeah. And they, they'll have continuity this year. Uh, their defensive coordinator, Brian Williams, it's his second year in that position, but he's been there for five years overall. And so, you know, they'll hopefully adjust back to, you know, what, what teams are doing to them. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't see their defense as a weakness by any means. Um, you know, they've, they've driven down their point totals year over year. Last year, they gave up their fewest points since 2010 and only 23 points a game. And so you're seeing consistent improvement, you know, all things considered. So, although they also saw once they got into conference, they see, they see a lot more talent. And so, yeah, yeah, there's, their stats get a little more uh, shady once you get up against yeah, the I, tougher competition. I, so I, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like I think that they're, defense is a weakness mm-hmm. I do think that their strength is their offense yeah and I think that their if their defense can play up to the offense I think they will be a more formidable team gotcha um, which I do think that they will do I think that this is going to be a defense that continues to get better and better year after year and I think this is a good starting point for this defense where they have that solid foundation of leaders uh, in their linebacker and in their secondary core um, to help make that movement uh, if the d-line continues to play that the way that they've been playing um year over year yeah it's gonna be a pretty yeah pretty pretty tough defense and, and they're gonna get some good experience going against the big 10 east oh for sure and i think honestly like my my perception of maryland um had like even for the past few years just outside looking in has been like man it's like they've got like a, a great offense and their defense is probably what's holding them back um and so as i'm as i'm really like starting to like look at them and dive into things that my my own uh, predetermined judgments that I held against them kind of like shaped how I viewed things. It was like, well, the offense is, it is good, but it's not as great as I thought it was. The defense isn't actually as bad as I thought it was either. And so um, overall, I, yeah, I just, I think that they're, I think they're going to surprise people this year who don't necessarily follow the team. Um, and I think again, I, and I'll go right back to the, the point that I made probably at the get go was, they could they could have the same record, uh, you know, eight, another eight win season, and I think that it would still be could still be a really great step forward for them. Absolutely, so, yeah. Tough game for Nebraska. Yeah. Do you want to be Maryland or do you want to be Nebraska in this one? Um, I'm, it's like this is coin toss territory at this point. I'll be. Can I be Nebraska? Have I been Nebraska yet? No, yeah, you were Nebraska the last one. You oh, said yeah, thirty, I and I said ten. Yeah, that's right. I won thirty to ten. Let's go backwards, and I'll be Maryland, and you be Nebraska. This okay, time. we're gonna do for real though. Like how many points I think Nebraska can put up against Maryland, and how many points you think Maryland can put up against Nebraska? Yeah, I think it'll be a tight, it'll be a tight game, like a tiger. Yeah, <laughs> toy, like a tiger. <laughs> All right. When do when do we play them? Uh, we play them November 11th, which is you know pretty late into the season. Yeah, a couple of weeks left. So these are going to be teams that are kind of in their stride, but there could also uh, be some injury issues. We're at home. We are at home. Okay. This could be a high scoring affair, to be honest. It could be, but maybe it won't. Maybe it won't be from my. Maybe it will be. Maybe it will be. <laughs> might, okay. Might be, might not be. Okay. Okay. You're you Maryland? I'm Maryland. Okay. I'm going to throw out a weird number, too. Okay. You ready? You know, yeah. One, two, three. 29. 31. Ooh. Whoa. Yeah, I told you. I knew it would be close. Game. That would be good. It'd be a good game. Yeah. A lot of back and forth. Yeah. Keeping things. Uh, nail biter. Oh, man. 28 to 29. Three seconds left. Ooh, you know, someone goes up and kicks a field goal. Uh, Maybe big stage. I think Timmy. 
I think Timmy's going to be working his butt off Timmy's, this offseason. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I got faith in Timmy. Okay. I'm you not know? doubting him. I'm just saying. You know why I got faith in Timmy? Because Tell me. in uh, the Iowa game, mm-hmm. what did he do on his first field goal? He missed it. And what did he do the second one? He made it. There you go, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. He's got fight. My <laughs> yeah. boy's got fight. I agree. All right. So, okay. and, you know, if you saw our promo video for our live show, I know a thing or two about uh, kicking. <laughs> <laughs> Some would oh, say that I'm the uh, best field goal kicker sitting at this table right now. You are the resident <laughs> expert. I'll say that. I'll agree. I saw, we didn't my, put my my attempt on video. My my form belongs um, covered in green fur on Sesame Street. I is trash. It just belongs in a dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a weird that was a if, weird way around. If that Oscar one. the Grouch could yeah. kick field goals, I mean, it's just pure garbage. Oh man. Well, what do you say? Shall we shall we wrap up this Big Ten uh, East preview? Yeah, yeah, I think it's about time to go. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've overstayed yeah. our welcome in everyone's ears. Uh, that does it for this week. We want to thank everyone who tuned in and stayed with us uh, through this week's episode. If you have anyone who you think would enjoy a listen, we would truly appreciate your recommendation. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Wannabe Walk-Ons and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Remember to do your part. Drink local beer wherever you are. You can find more information on Papa Moon by following them on Facebook or finding them on the interwebs. Uh, Or make your way out to beautiful Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. If you have any breweries that you would like us to sample on the show, visit wannabewalkons.com to submit your recommendation. Tune in next week for a preview of the first half of Nebraska's Big Ten West schedule and a sampling of beer from Thunderhead Brewing in Kearney, Nebraska. Thanks for listening, and as always, drink Big Red. Drink Big Red. Sports Network Production.